This week's episode of This Is Only A Test is made possible by TripleByte because applying to programming jobs sucks, from endless applications to countless hours of technical screens. But with TripleByte, there's a better way. You do one online interview, then you get to go straight to final interviews at hundreds of companies, from tech giants like Dropbox to exciting startups. It's like the common app for software engineers. No resume needed. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash test. And if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Again, that's triplebyte, B-Y-T-E dot com slash test. Let's start the show. For Thursday, May 2nd, 2019, it's This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested. I like this one. Dot com. the episode number no but i wanted to make a call out that it is episode 498 Indeed. we are two episodes away i guess we're in the 500. end game now <laughs> so norm has passed the uh hosting duties over to me and kishore today because his, why his voice is a little off oh my goodness he threatened to whisper throughout the show so i'm uh, thrilled ASMR. i'm thrilled to hear his actual vocal words in effect i think he lost his voice just yelling at the screen at different movie theaters all weekend long and then at One, the battle of true. winterfell and the tv <laughs> screen yeah, yeah exactly i can't see anything uh, so we are going to be talking a lot about Endgame today, but it's, we're going to save most of the talk for the end of the show, just so you know. We're going to go full-on spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, you're free to listen to the podcast and if then you're stop. one of like the five people left on this planet that have somehow not seen this movie. I, I, you know, one of our own hasn't seen the movie. Didn't I hear that Gunther yeah. has not seen Gunther the movie? By the way, not seen it. that's not a judgment. It just feels <laughs> like based off the box office returns yeah, that right. everyone has seen it. How, how are your viewing experiences? Can we, do, we can do spoiler-free talk. Absolutely. Top, Absolutely. Right? And, and we haven't been, we didn't podcast together. The three of us were all gone last week. I want to hear about, Jeremy, your adventures at sea. Right. So, yes, I, I sailed the Pacific Ocean. I mingled with princesses. I ate Whoa. nonstop. <laughs> Uh, I I saw some of the Mexican paradises. I had a wonderful time uh, aboard the Disney Wonder with my family. Um, went to Puerto Vallarta, went scuba diving. The the meals are just like nonstop. Like honestly, like this like buffet breakfast. There's something for you. It's humongous. And then it ends, and 15 minutes later, it's lunch buffet. It's like all the time. There's ice cream on tap. You want ice cream on tap? That's a bad phrase. All the time. Is this like one of those giant, giant ships where there's thousands of people on board? There's 1,500 passengers, but it's their smallest ship. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, they're actually making three new ships that are supposed to start launching in two years. The Triton class. And uh, so I'm curious about those. A whole cast of characters, right? You said princesses. Oh, yeah. You're furry. I'm, I'm furry. You're, no, no, you're furry yes, characters. Yes, there are certainly furry characters. Of course, it's in Disney tradition. They don't speak unless they have, you know, existing human heads. A tap like, on your back, no like hugs. The princesses will speak. Um, 
you know, the, the characters that are human, they speak, but the, the animals do not. Any official Star Wars characters? None, but tons oh. of Marvel. And if, when we got on, they told us this was like an, a special Marvel cruise. We didn't know wow. this. Wow. And it really, like, I don't know how much that, how much that was true. Like, that, they, they that. do Marvel cruises. Yeah. This, I don't think this was necessarily one, but there was every Avenger aboard. Oh. Did they look good, too? Yeah. Yeah, oh, because pictures, like some pictures, of those costumes suits are really hard to do, especially when you're on like a ninety. You know, it's probably eighty, ninety degrees aboard a cruise ship as you're walking around. And they spare no expense on the costumes. Hey, it, it's, it's Tony from Iron Man two playing California <laughs> Dreaming. They hire like decent actors to do that too, and they pay them relatively well. Like the actors who play the characters get paid more than the um, camp counselors. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, relatively. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I had a great time. Uh, I'm glad. Importantly. Most importantly, you were away at sea during the premiere of Avengers Endgame. And we had speculated, what was Jeremy going to do, right? Yeah, because you're, you're not going to be able to see a movie on right? a boat. Do they have the, was the movie on board? Did they satellite it in? Well, was there someone running on the beach like in Rogue One with the, <laughs> the, the memory card passing it along? There was a helicopter that came in like Thursday morning. No, it was, that was my first question when we got on there because it wasn't on the itinerary. There wasn't officially going to be a showing of Endgame. I mean, do they have a movie theater even Oh, yeah. More? The Disney Cruises have, like, two. Like, there's, there's a humongous Walt Disney theater that is used for Broadway shows and also movies. And then they have the Buena Vista Theater, which is always movies all the time. Mm. So, I mean, they showed Dumbo and Penguins and all these other, like, current-run films. But they didn't have Endgame showing. They, they were showing Infinity War and Captain Marvel. Um, but it um, wasn't on itinerary. It wasn't on itinerary. And, Brutal and so, beat for like, you. But Would you have gotten off the boat? <laughs> no, no, I don't I'm turning think so. this around. No, dude. Did I tell you about the buffet? Okay. okay. All right, all right. But Ice cream on tap, Norm. There well, were on tap. There were these empty spots towards the end of the cruise, and so I, I inquired at guest services. I said, <laughs> is there going to be a showing event game? And they said, well, there's technical problems. We're trying to to jump over them and figure them out. But if we can figure them out, yes. <gasps> yes, there will be an endgame showing, but no promises, sir. Lo and behold, Thursday morning, cruise director Ashley comes on the comms and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to tell you we will be showing endgame tonight at 11 o'clock in both theaters, in 3D and one, and in 2D and the other, and then nonstop for the next two days. What's the capacity? <laughs> could, they could put they, it on a loop? Can they get they put it every on passenger on in both theaters? Because... No. At some point, you can't. And then you don't want to be stuck on the boat with people who've seen the movie. You have nowhere to go. That's true. No. So the whole cruise couldn't see it the first night. Oh, no. But I, I did. I was of up course. till 2 with my 12-year-old <laughs> son. We were up till 2. Not everyone in the theater made it all the way through. There were snorers oh. by, by the third act. There was Delightfully, there were a lot of children in, mm. the, in the theater, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But... Overall, I'm going to say it was a good thing. So you could have stayed. You could have stayed in that room for the duration of the cruise. Oh yeah, have your family bring so, food for you. Exactly. You just watch it. Yeah, bring me another platter. <laughs> it was great. Um, so yeah, I was glad. I saw it two point three times on the cruise, and I saw it again when we got back to the mainland. I'd already bought tickets, not knowing if it was going to be on the ship. Why point three? You know, you're bored. You're wandering around the ship. You don't. You know what to do. It's playing again. What luxury. You wander in. But by the end of the cruise, where the theater's empty. Amazing for ad those, for, for Disney those, Cruises, right? by the way. <laughs> this is just an exceptional Never-ending endgame. I am, I am a booking a cruise every time a Marvel movie comes out. <laughs> exactly. For this experience. Yeah, because it's, it is. It was nonstop. They, and uh, and they, they do like trivia beforehand. They make it a good time. 
Cool. Yeah, so right. that, that was my experience seeing the film. And then, like I said, I saw it when we got back. Thankfully, finally, in like a quiet theater. Um, so, so yeah. Norm, you've seen the movie as well? I saw it twice, yep. I IMAX what? and Dolby Cinema. And which one was best? IMAX, easily. You said that was the way to see it. The way to see it. It's the only the second film to be filmed completely with uh, for the IMAX format, not using IMAX 65mm film, 70mm yeah. film. I think uh, Dunkirk was close. Uh, but they use airy cameras adapted for IMAX. Was it 3D? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, IMAX is one 3D showing in San Francisco day. The rest are 2D. Go for a 2D IMAX showing. Clearly, if they're yeah. doing it that way, that's what the customers are demanding. I mean, and I'm really curious when this gets pushed out on home video, whether it'll be a, wide, a taller aspect ratio. I hope so. Because Infinity War wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Infinity War was the first film to be filmed entirely in IMAX. What are you saying? Like, do you want it to be, if you want it to fill a 16 by 9 screen? Yeah, because there's extra stuff that you don't get Hmm. On a 21 by 9 crop. Interesting. I have also seen the movie. Did you? Yes, I have. I have seen it now five times. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Uh, I have seen it. I saw it at the Alamo Draft House twice, once on opening night, because I wanted to be with like a really raucous crowd yeah. for that first showing. What time was that? Uh, I saw it at 9 because I couldn't get off work and get there in time for the 5 o'clock super fan showing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I was I was in there with a, a pretty heavy fan crowd, uh, and then I I had a screening for my uh, science science um, monthly event at um, at the Alamo uh, last or Monday night, so uh, I I saw it twice there. I've seen it in three D twice. I've seen it in IMAX. I've seen it in XD, and I've seen it in D box. Oh, D-Box. So uh, tell people what D-Box is. D-Box is where you have a seat that rumbles. Uh, It has vibration and movement left to right. Not extreme. It's sort of like a... Uh, sort of like a kiddie ride at an amusement park level of movement. It's not like, but hooked, it's hooked, it's not hooked up to the subwoofer. Like it's a, there's actually no, programmed there's, movement, right? There's programmed vibration, you know, sensors, or yeah. in, motors in the seat that rumble, and clearly somebody has gone through the movie and programmed it to do things in conjunction with what's happening on the screen. And uh, I, I think it's a very divisive thing. Some people really love it. Uh, some people find it really distracting. It was scary inside of this movie at points because, like, literally, you know, action would be happening, and then I would feel like something at the back of me. And you thought it was a person, probably. Yeah, initially. it was just like somebody kicked my seat, and yeah. I was like, nope, that's the seat itself. It was my second favorite. The IMAX was still the best. Oh, wow. But um, I, I enjoyed the D box. I, and I've seen it in 3D twice. I don't think it needs to be seen in 3D. I but completely the 3D, agree. 3D wasn't bad, but it wasn't. It, you just don't need to see it. I completely way. agree. Like I, I like to see movies in 3D sometimes because I think there's an artistry there that's underappreciated. There's people who spend a lot of engineering time, like figuring out what works in stereo and what doesn't. How can it be pushed? And directors who think about it ahead of time. This was not one of those movies. Like it worked. It was framed and shot for 2D, and it works great in 2D. Does not need the three. Um, so yeah, of course everyone knows it broke every record available to movies. That's our top story. Oh, you want to do the music? Let's yeah, do let's it. do it. Boom, ba boom. Top story this week: domestic, international. Oh my god! Uh, uh, concession sales. The uh, in- <laughs> international thing is what sort of broke me. I was sort of. I'm not surprised that that broke in a Friday night yeah. or Thursday, Friday opening weekend. 
I was. domestically. I was surprised by the margin. It was up against The Force margin Awakens. by which yeah. it broke the last It records. broke it by a lot. Because yeah. previous to Force Awakens, we had that conversation on this very podcast about how much money could a movie this highly anticipated make. And Jeremy, I remember you saying, well, how many seats are there? Because it's going to fill every seat. And, and when Force Awakens came out, it did break all the records, 257 million uh, opening weekend domestically. Infinity War did just about the same. Yeah. So we thought that's probably the cap. Yeah, right. Right. right? That's like about 250, 270 maybe. If you looked at the trend, it was hovering around there. Like, yeah. It didn't seem like it was going to go dramatically larger. Like it could go dramatically larger. And the people are thinking maybe 300 because theaters are going 24 hours a day on this. Yeah. It, but it was also a longer film. A so longer like film. how you get less throughput in a way. 357 million. Domestic. Domestic. Yeah. And over a, what 1.2 billion total. And I'm only responsible for like a million of that. So I mean, there's like still a lot of other people that saw this movie. I, I, what broke me was the the international sales because if you look at international for Force Awakens. It doesn't actually Star Wars doesn't do that well internationally. This was like a billion dollars overseas, basically. Well, it had the um, benefit of opening in China, which a lot of films haven't had. And apparently, I didn't know this, but China caps the number of U.S. films that they will show every year. Oh. And so Studios and vie for it, yeah, because they want to promote domestic, their own production releases. Plus, the take, uh, the percentage of the box office that China keeps is much higher. Uh, so the studio only gets back a smaller, like a 20% or something of the ticket price. They have a quota allowing 34 non-Chinese films per year. Yeah, this will be one of the top... Thir- 34 yeah. American movies this year. <laughs> yeah. No, this is uh, quite an accomplishment. I don't know what you do now if you're in the film industry and you're trying to make a hit film. You can't shoot for this. It's not fair, right? So this just has to be the outlier. This why, was, why was it so successful? I think in part because it was a, the ending, the second half of a cliffhanger. Yeah, and it was 10 years of buildup. Right. So you had so many characters. There's somebody for everybody who, that, for, to care about. Uh, the hype train uh, that comics has just become like mainstream pop culture has sort of carried that through. But there's too. something different. Like you could have said that for any other Marvel film, and this blew them all away. I I think it's a, it has a lot to do with that cliffhanger ending because I, I don't like. Like I said, I don't. I feel like this is the biggest cliffhanger since Empire. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if now we'll start to see a lot more cliffhanger sequels. Oh, I hope not. Yeah. That was a worthy cliffhanger. Like totally. That made sense for what the story is going for. Wow. I just can't believe how, how it smashed those, those records. Um, is it going to be the most? It, most uh, right. It's uh, the first movie in a long time that has a chance of beating um, uh, Avatar at $2.7 billion. Globally, Infinity War didn't even do that. Did about two billion, so it has a long way to go. Uh, of course, it's about the long tail of this. You know, movies are released differently now. Does They're that just, count home sales? It does not count home. So it's home just releases. box office. It's just box office. And if you do it by tradition, the previous winner uh, publishes an ad in the newspaper, full page ad, congratulating the new victor That's with right. heroes of the films handing over the baton. I yes. just can't imagine James Cameron having that kind of humility. <laughs> do that, really. He doesn't strike me as a humble dude. He's a smart dude, though. Smart, yes. Uh, Avatar, hand over the batons, please. Uh, uh, so I, we got all we want to do is talk more about Endgame. I think we're we're gonna breeze through uh, some laundry here and tell you what else happened in the world, and then get back to it at the end of the show. But let's talk about some pop culture. 
Jeremy, did you get trailers ahead of the screenings on the cruise? Not one. Wow. Is it, so there's something special about that. Like when the lights go down and the first frame isn't even text. It's not a MPAA anything. It's not like a welcome to the show, be quiet. It's the first frame of the film. That's, That's kind of cool. great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there were a bunch of trailers on both of my screenings, and uh, it led up to, I think, if going to the the penultimate trailer was, or the final trailer was Force, or, uh, Rise of Skywalker. It was great Which to see looked that. really good on the big screen. Yeah, and IMAX looks I so mean, good. Yeah, IMAX especially looked good, just with the, the sound system, because mm-hmm. it's a quiet thing, and then you can really hear the tie interceptor coming in from a distance. Yeah. The, the orchestral score. Uh, and then the penultimate trailer for me was Lion King. And actually, I like this trailer. It convinced me to want to see the film. I told you it was going to be a David Attenborough film with, with some Disney songs <laughs> in it. And that's exactly what the trailer says. I was, I'm with you 98% of the way. And then I didn't like the last two percent. Lion King is your generation's like Godfather, (laughs) (laughs) Hamlet. But yes, yeah. So I can understand. So I'm surprised one that you are interested in a film that remakes it because it is sort of a classic. I don't think it takes away from the the original. Okay. So tell me what you're excited about. I'm excited about the 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 look of it. It is so. It looks great. Photoreal. Yeah. The the creatures, the characters. I'm excited for the new takes. It's, I mean, aside from uh, James Earl Jones coming back as Mufasa, it is a new take on those characters. It's like Hmm. going to Lion King on Broadway. Yeah, I enjoy that as well. It doesn't take away from the original. It's just a new telling of that story. Just like Lion King itself is a new telling of Hamlet. Uh, But in the latest issue of Entertainment Weekly, John Favreau and his team talked about how they filmed this, it being a completely CG film, and it's not what the first film would do it, but they heavily use virtual reality. Uh, to direct, to scope out their scenes. Uh, the entire crew, in addition to the director, were in VR to, to plan out their shots. Why VR? Because people have been previsioning for a long time, like, yeah. and you can do real-time compositions for, this, for the movie screen, for you know, the actual rectangle that most people are going to see it projected as. And I would think that that's what they would continue to use, that they would use uh, live composition because that's how they're going to end up seeing it. People aren't going to watch the film in VR. It is so that as a filmmaker, they can feel like they're on a set. Now, uh, James Cameron famously invented technology for the first Avatar to have a window into the virtual previous world, like more like a tablet that yeah. would act like a camera. You can hold it up and frame it and do handheld things. Here, you can have controllers that act like tools in the VR space, mm-hmm. and you can have a God view of the world. You can go down to the ground. Uh, you can change up, you know, could actually hold a virtual camera. They would treat it like a set. That's interesting. And they even talked about having the crew in virtual vi- video villages offset watching <laughs> things going on. <laughs> That's and referring to And getting, you know, piped in footage of what yeah. Favreau's team was doing on the virtual set. That's Th- wild. This just emphasizes that it's going to feel a little like a nature doc, like a really good nature doc, because that's what, I mean, if you've been watching all the, the specials on Netflix, um, they have those multiple views where you're like bouncing around a lot. Uh, I imagine they do this a lot. And then we can get scenes that aren't just cutaways, but actually tilt and shift while still maintaining a frame. That would be really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the other big trailers that are ahead of my endgame screening, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, just sign me up. We saw the entire movie in that trailer. I know. Don't care. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a Fast and Furious movie. Oh, Spin-off. really? With the Rock, and Jason Statham. Okay, it's a, it's a and Black Superman. 
Idris Elba. That's right. Um, and then uh, what else was there? Men in Black, the new Men oh, in Black trailer. It, I had Aladdin back to back to Lion King in one of my mm. screenings. Oh yeah, and I, could, I w- it was such a funny juxtaposition because you watch that Aladdin trailer and you're like, no thanks, not at all. It just looks hokey and forced. And then you watch the Lion King one and you're like, oh, that looks um, reasonably done. Same basic universe. The Men in Black one didn't grab me. I don't know. Yeah. I like Tessa Thompson a lot, too. That's the thing. I think it's going to be on the strength of their yeah. comedic Isn't it uh, Hemsworth as well? It is Chris Hemsworth. I mean, he's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not on the actor's fault. And I think the, the problem with Aladdin is I think that movie, so much of it is on the strength of Genie, and that is a character that might just be better as a 2D Seljohn cartoon character. You don't need to go from animated to live action all the time. But going from live action to animated is something that, Maybe happening more, at least on the Sony side, as Sony has just signed a long-term deal with filmmakers Phil Lord and Chris Miller. You can't, you, no, can't, you can't, you can't stop. stop. I can't stop. <laughs> That's great. This is great news. Uh, is it that you want to see more continuity pictures, like more with Miles Morales, or do you want to see them just sort of expand into other universes? Like, do you want a Spider-Ham movie? Yes. Who doesn't? Is this going to be on the Disney uh, subscription service? No. Really? This is Sony. It's going to be their own thing. Although Disney Plus is not, uh, they're not going to, well, they said they, they would be potentially licensing content from other studios. Well, so it could happen. So it could happen. Yeah. And Lord and Miller were on Fox TV and the Fox stuff is all on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. So this is Sony Pictures Television um, and it is expanding the into the Spider-Verse universe uh, and I just want to see more of that. Who else do, does Sony have besides Spider-Man and Spider-Man-associated characters? Do they have any other Marvel characters? I don't think so. They famously turned down yeah, all of them. them. All of Marvel. Because <laughs> they didn't think people would want them. And they paid for, for what? It was like $25 million? Yeah, it would have been nothing. Yeah. Half a day's gross. But thank God, because it's not like they would have done the MCU. Like, that, that could have only happened with the people who made it happen. Yeah. So that was a good thing for Absolutely. all of us. All right, great. So we, can we move on next segment? Let's do it. I love this. And if people are wondering, the reason my voice is like this isn't okay. because of Endgame screenings. It's because yeah, right. on Monday we filmed two half-hour VR videos that went up on the site. In addition to, I did another 90 minutes of podcasting after that, and I was already had a minor sore throat. So it's kind of a regular Monday, like besides the, the sore throat part. Yes, but the, starting with a sore throat, yeah. it went, it was downhill yeah, from there. Bad, bad news. Yeah. And you can believe that if you want. It's really just Norm yelling Avengers as he walks down the street. You know, on the subject of the Disney uh, stuff, I, uh, just to tease like more about Endgame, I, I was excited by how it kind of, it, just uh, it dropped little paths. It led off in different directions that are going to be picked up by the Disney subscription service. I mean, it connected those dots, right? Because we know yeah. which Disney Plus yeah. shows are going to star the right. existing actors. And exactly. we know movies that have already been cast. And that leads to a lot of questions. The paths are there, yeah. but they're not fully connected. So we, it, this is more kind of a cliffhanger. Well, in a way, yeah. But like we knew what those shows were going to be, and now we know how they made that happen. We'll talk about this more later, but... I actually didn't enjoy that. I found I found that irritating. Oh, uh, really? See, yeah. I, that that got me excited. So there you go. 
the casual versus the hardcore. All right, technology news. Oh, right. So the once hot robotic startup Anki is shutting down. Do you, do you guys remember the Anki robot? There were two of them. There was the, the Cosmo. Which you have, right? Yes, the original one, the white one. And guys, that, guys. What? Before the robots, the cars. The cars. That's, that the was the track. thing that I really liked. Oh, on right. stage. Anki Drive. Yeah, at, at Apple. At Apple. That's it was right. like 2013 or 2014. It was a few yeah. years ago. An- yeah, Anki Drive. And they called? had like demo tracks in Best Buy that you could like race around in. Uh, uh. And it wasn't like, it, first of all, I think there's a lot of uh, reporting around this that makes this sound like, uh, just another hardware startup that failed in Silicon Valley hubris. And while there might be nuggets of truth of that, they raised $200 million. Mm-hmm. But last year they had sales of $100 million. So it wasn't like they weren't selling these things no, they out were in, into the wild. They, they were just, in Target. There were many places. I, a lot of kids I, I my son's friends with knew about them. And they weren't bad toys either. It's just they weren't selling enough well, based off of how much money they had raised. I think kind of like the Sphero toys, they, they were really novel, and they d- did things that toys never have done before. And they, so they were intriguing. But they were also very expensive and kind of one-trick ponies. You're, and, I think you're just describing toys in general. <laughs> like, I don't, well, level. in that case, toys should not be $200. This, I mean, this is true. They're incredibly expensive, partially because of what they're able to do. Uh, but that novelty never expanded beyond just being a toy. And it certainly collected a lot of dust. You know, I don't have a problem with it being a toy as long as it has replayability. Like, yeah. like a, I had a racetracks, you know, like not slot car, but the, you know, pull the trigger and make the car go around the racetrack. And that was enjoyable for months. Like, I loved that thing as a kid. And even without the replayability, I would love robots. And these robots did it. They have passive life. Like, if they're going to sit on your shelf or sit on your desk. Yeah come alive like fill up my room fill up my office with life mm. and the, the cosmo did that to a certain extent the, the other robot you know could wander around your desk the and, newer one yeah yeah and it had some like uh personal assistant capabilities where it right. could check the internet uh and it was but i still think that it was a you know just a curiosity i think that these were things that we've seen in movies and we all want for ourselves but they just didn't they lacked like any kind of like staying power for better or for worse i i loved I loved the ingenuity, though, and I'm, I'm sorry to see companies like this shut down. Hopefully those employees and those founders create new robotics companies with proper expectations and with all the knowledge and experience they have from running this one. Yes. Uh, so, as Norm, why does Samsung think that your generation wants vertical TVs? Don't, please don't want me. I'm, I'm, in gen, I'm clearly Gen Y. No, don't, aren't, aren't you based on birth date, a millennial? I think you are. Technically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, vertical video is a popular thing. Don't tell me that's why. Is that why? It is why. Why? So why? What makes you think Samsung wants? Because they released there. There's a new TV. Yeah. Coming out from Samsung, they have a couple. They have one called the Frame, which is a wall-mounted TV. One called the Serif, which can sit like on on sawhorses or something uh-huh. like these tiny stands, and then one called the Cero, S-E-R-O. And the idea is that it can be a sixteen by nine TV. But you can also no, rotate it. No, dude, no one's gonna watch. What are you talking about? This makes no sense. There's no content for that. Your, your iPhone video. No, but that's all accidental. <coughs> and ha- any all of the infrastructure for video is rotates it to Jeremy, Jeremy, horizontal Jeremy. anyway to you, the landscape. You gotta apply a little imagination to this. Imagine that you're sitting in your living room and you're like, family, let's sit down and watch this Instagram influencer yeah. video. Yeah, yeah. Let me get up and 
turn my TV vertical physically. Seriously? I have to not disturb on, dude. This is not my fault. Um, just the whole process of you have to actually go and physically turn this thing just seems crazy to me. So it is a regular TV that rotates like a computer yeah, monitor. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. But think about how often you rotate your computer computer monitor, too. Just like every day, right? <laughs> like, in, be, in between sessions, you're like just flipping that thing. Whatever. We're talking about it. So job well done. 1600 bucks in the Korean market. Okay. There you go. I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced. If you want a vertical television, let us know in the comments. How about a foldable television? Yeah. Yeah. It, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? How about a foldable phone? <laughs> in theory. Uh, so yeah, so the Galaxy Fold uh, was torn down by iFixit, who always do such a wonderful job with these things, and they have great photos. You can see how things work on the inside. But apparently, they were asked very kindly, I'm sure, by Samsung to remove their teardown from the internet, and they did. They did. Uh, and it's interesting because they didn't get their phone from Samsung. They got it from a, a well-respected partner. Well, that's what they say. And I, I believe them. And they didn't want to ruin their relationship with the partner and burn that partner's relationship with Samsung. And so they did something they didn't have to do legally, yeah. under no obligation. Yeah. But uh, they took down their teardown. So what, are, what is the Im implication here? Is the implication that the well, final version will be different than the one that they tore down? Uh, it, it could be, right? Because Samsung recalled all the phones, uh, even the, the demos that they sent out to repair this issue with the screen protector thing. yeah so you could imagine that they re-engineer it or they just abandon it altogether and if they abandon it altogether then you have a teardown of a product that doesn't exist which doesn't seem it's just fair bad, bad all around for the fold like a hundred percent but I don't I don't feel like I, I feel like I fix it did anything wrong with this no I'm fine with I fix it taking it down and for the and explaining why they did it, I know there's a lot of people that are angry. They're like, "You have to leave it up." It's but it you know. You know what? If they eventually put out that phone again, it'll get torn down again. Yeah, exactly. And they'll have the knowledge of that first teardown, and they'll be able to communicate what Samsung did differently, if at anything at all, to fix the problem with the folding phone. I don't know. It's not I fix I fix its job to manage Samsung's public relations. No. And so that I don't think that they needed to do it. But, Again, I don't think they needed to. They didn't. They said they didn't need to either. Well, legally, yeah, but they did. But they yeah. did. I mean, right. whoever gave them the phone could have gotten in big trouble. Well, Samsung's not the only one selling fewer of a phone. It's Apple as well, believe it or not. Their iPhone sales are down as their services continue to grow. This is something that, uh, what is it, Cook, uh, Tim Apple? said uh, ages ago, he said, we're going to start focusing on services, and it's a very pre no, prescient move. The last quarter was bad for Apple, right? They sold many fewer phones than analysts were expecting. Uh, software market overseas, uh, trade wars notwithstanding, and this apparently was good news because even though iPhone phones were down, the expectation was that they were going to be down already, but the services number kept on rising and has become a big, big part of their business. So... Investors are happy. It turns out Apple can get people to pay things on a monthly basis, starting with iCloud. Uh, wearables are up, probably on the strength of AirPods. Uh, iPad sales are up. 
Mac sales are slightly down. They said that was a processor restriction. But this year might be a big year for MacBooks because of new 6-plus core uh, yeah. mobile chips from Intel. So we've just reached the point of uh, diminishing returns on phones, right? Like, there's just, yeah. what are they adding to them that's as sexy as... Another the, camera. I mean, I don't know. Probably a third camera. That's, this is what I like about VR is it's at the very beginning of something again. And they didn't give any more details about the pricing or content launch for either their video subscription service or their arcade. Arcade, yeah, uh, right. So WWDC, they say, be there. It's going to be an exciting one. Okay. Oh, Slack is ruining work, Norm. Why is that? Because everyone's on Slack. Do you guys use Slack? We all use Slack. I'm using Slack right now. Slack right now. is, everyone thinks that it's ruining work, but it's it's great for Slack. Slacking. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I mean for the company Slack. Oh, yeah. Like everyone on Slack is great for them, right? This is wonderful. This is good for work. These kind of work sharing apps, it just brings back the days of AOL Instant Messenger. And, and chat groups. Yeah. And it's just like IRC. That's what it was. Start it actually literally started as an IRC channel. Yeah. So I, th I think it's just the new reality of like how people work. I mean, w isn't yeah. it just taking the place of <clears throat> interpersonal conversation and emails? I mean, this isn't something. Yes, but I think a lot of people are using the social aspect of Slack and making it more the water cooler than the open workplace. But we've had instant messenger going back, you know, more than a decade, right? Oh, so this yeah. isn't a new thing. It's just more widely used. Mm -hmm. For me, this is just indicative of how our culture generally hasn't figured out how to deal with notifications. Like if you use Slack efficiently, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. If you use it uh, and just respond to every notification when it turns, when it pops up and you're just looking at that number grow and grow, then you're probably not, you know, compartmentalizing your time really well. So it's a tool. It's like any other tool. Like if you use it well, it does what it's meant to do. If you don't, it becomes just a, a pit. But I think blaming Slack for making uh, a tool that that meet that taps into people's needs is not is not super useful. I I still think it, it's incredibly useful for. Uh, organizing and sub-organizing uh, a bunch of conversations. You just have to know its limits. It's become essential to a lot of companies in the way that they do their business. I, I, I anticipate that Slack will offer, and other software like this will offer features to bosses of the company. If you want to pay extra surcharge, will help manage your, un, improve your productivity and efficiency in Slack with, with other plugins and making sure people aren't posting memes and, and gifts when they're not supposed to, and, and limit their, their time in certain channels. Oh, wow. So the, they get the company hooked on it. That's right. And then they sell you a way to wean people off of it. <laughs> <It's a> slight, <laughs> yes. Yes. Just like Facebook. So we're responding to an article on Vox.com called The Productivity Pit, How Slack is Ruining Work. If you want to read more, um, and if you don't use Slack, um, give it a try. Everyone's doing it. Former Google CEO Eric Schmidt is stepping down what uh, what a from alphabet what an incredible ending After 18 years he 18 was on the years. on the board and he's finally leaving google he's still remaining in some sort of like technical advisor capacity yeah um but him leaving the board is is a big departure because eric schmidt was at the helm of google during sort of uh, a lot of its what he was is considered its heyday on the board at apple when google announced that they'd be making a phone 
he famously butted heads with Steve Jobs because he was privy to all of the buildup to the release of the iPhone. Um, and now he's yeah finally stepping down from Alphabet itself. Uh, I imagine his attention will be in high demand. Yeah, or he could retire. I, I mean, he has a he, he has a uh, what do you call it a foundation that he works with. He's doing some uh, technical projects with a, a, a couple groups, and he I, he said in a tweet yesterday that he wants to work with a lot of CEOs as an advisor to them as a as sort of grow their businesses. So. so He's open if you'd like to talk to him. That's right. Yeah. Uh, last bits of technology news. F8 is going on right now. Yes, it is. And some of the news coming out of that is that Facebook says users, they have a bunch of messaging platforms, Messenger, Instagram, DMs, which has become a What's de facto app? messaging service for the, the, the youths, uh, and WhatsApp overseas. Uh, soon, sometime in the future, uh, they may allow cross-chat between those platforms. Okay. Which is good for them. That's great. They also, I think they're releasing a Mac client for their uh, Facebook chat client. Um, Anything else? There's some other announcement he they, made about some hardware, but I think we'll get hardware. to that. Hardware. Oh, right. We'll they're, get to that it, in a You second. know what? He didn't spend that much time talking about it. Uh, they are redesigning the website, which I, th I felt like was the biggest news. That is a big deal. and It, it does look better. I'll, I'll hand him that. And also uh, Instagram, for people who use that, and they're redesigning the camera app. I think a lot of people don't use the built-in camera on Instagram. They rather take pictures on their phone or import them from other camera devices yeah, or even non-camera devices, screenshots, mm -hmm. whatever, and they want to get back to people taking pictures with in-app uh, because maybe they get better data that way or it keeps them in-app longer. Really? People, most people don't use the app? Most people take a picture of their phone and then import it from their library. Oh, I see. But they don't take the picture in the app. In the app. And they want to use people to take the picture in the app. And use but them. it's all about privacy now. So well, I'm not worried. I'm not worried either. <laughs> all right. So that's it. That's it, guys. We made it all the way through the I laundry. Know. We've discussed pop culture and technology like we always do. We've informed the people about everything that they missed uh, for the past week. And now we get to move on to a little bit more news after Norm tells us about SiriusXM. That's right. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. SiriusXM brings you the deepest variety of commercial-free music for every genre and for every mood. When you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, where you get news from every source, a lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com slash test to see the offer details and subscribe. For that $1, you can listen to SiriusXM on your phone, at home, and online. So anywhere you are, any time of day, you can hear your favorite songs or discover new ones. Go to Sirius, that's S-I-R-I-U-S-X-M.com slash test and get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for $1. Offer details are on that page. Offer is available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. And thank them for making this episode possible. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. I wish I had that voice. Has there been a bigger week for a virtual reality? Not since... 2016 what happened then like when the, the cv1 was released 
Yeah. I feel like this is bigger. I feel like this is a bigger week. I mean, not only did we see release dates announced for the follow-up to the Rift, the Rift S, and the Quest, which is a whole new tier of product, but we also saw, finally, details about the Vive Index. Oh! Val Valve Index. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not, probably, not, probably not the only person to do that, and it's probably not the last time I'll do that, but you're, it is the Valve Index. That's right. Three products, new, all captured in like you know an hour of news cycles. Oh, my God. It was a busy day yesterday. Uh, where do we start? Uh, let's start with uh, the fact that we did an AMA yesterday. So if you have questions about any of these products, we uh, answered questions on Reddit for about two hours last night at 4 o'clock in the PST, or actually PDT. I just learned that those are distinctions. And uh, if you so go search Reddit for that thread, and your question might be answered already. It's in our Oculus. That's, that's right. Thank you, Kishore. Um, and thank you for contributing to the AMA. I was just double-checking if the, what they told me in Slack was accurate. Uh, so we, have, we were able to spend a week with the uh, Quest and um, slightly less time with... Or no, it was, was it just a week? A, week, a little yeah. over a week and a half. Yeah, a week and a half with the Quest and then also the Rift um, S for slightly less time. Uh, we'll be publishing a review of the Rift... Uh, not a review, but a, I guess it's more or less a review of the Rift S um, in the near future. We don't know if we're going to get that up this week, given the state of Norm's voice. We might try. We might try, but we're going to see. In any case, uh, we, we're fans of all three of these products. Um, I have not seen the Valve Index. That appears to be the product that people have the most interest on if we're looking purely at video views on our, uh, own, on our own YouTube channel. You went up to Valve and saw it. Um, why, can you give us a little bit of background on what All this right. device is? Uh, so the Valve Index is their own homebrewed VR headset. So for the first generation of Steam VR, they partnered with HTC, uh, HTC initially to produce the Vive, and then, but the Steam VR tech spec is up for anyone to license, right? So LG has promised one. You know, Pimax famously uses one. Uses it and has their own headset. Uh, and then uh, HTC put out the Vive Pro. A year ago and it sounds like the index has been in development for a while now like they've always wanted to push the fidelity of VR beyond where they saw the first generation of headsets going because the first generation headsets were built on panels display panels and optics really that were in a vacuum do you, do you think that they appreciated partnering with HTC out of the gate but they were unhappy eventually, and so that's why they decided to go their own direction and do everything themselves. I honestly can't speak to the, you know how happy they were. They their words are that they still see HUC as a valued partner, and HUC has put out a press release saying they welcome Index for their oh, portal content portal. It's all friendly. Sure. Okay. Good. Uh, but clearly, uh, HUC has their own business goals. And Valve has their own goals, yeah. business and otherwise. And their engineers, they have in-house engineers who are looking at different ways to improve the fidelity in VR. Yeah. And one of the ways they saw were looking at specific panels from uh, panel manufacturers, and they found this one that they really liked and kind of built the headset around it. So these panels are capable of 120 hertz easily, mm -hmm. and then if you push it into a, a beta mode, they can go as high as 144 hertz, yep. which is in fact divisible by 24. It's actually twice Six. 72. That's right. Um, and which is what the Oculus Go and the Quest run at. That's right. So uh, twice the frames. And people pointed out that 
120 hertz isn't new necessarily for VR because the PSVR did 120 hertz right. with True. Uh, their own repro- uh, reprojection, right? T- like, 1080p screen, though. 1080p screen, yeah. and it was really not natively 120 hertz. They were doubling 60. Um, this is going to be native 120 or even native 144. If your computer can pump if it out. If your system can handle it at a pretty wide field of view. Now and that field and of you view, didn't see, one at, see this at 144. I did. You did see it at 144? And he said he could tell the difference. You between, can tell the difference? Between 120 and 144. Um, in that 144, yeah, 144 was so silky smooth. I don't know if I could... <coughs> I didn't get to A, B, 120, 144. Yeah. But they, you know, I asked developers afterward, was your game at 144, uh-huh. 120? And when they said 120, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned that not only is it high frame rate, but the... Um, what about the... Uh, Low latency, low, the persistence. Low Sorry, persistence. low persistence yes. of the display itself uh, means that it's it's like a, by a, an order of magnitude so f- less. It's yeah. gone down from like eleven milliseconds yeah. to under two. It is basically, uh, and I, I'll, I'll pull up uh, the notes I took from that. Which basically means that these pixels are on and then they're off, and they they turn off almost instantaneously. Which means there's no smearing. Like if you use like the original CV1, the Oculus Rift, and you look around, you can see in dark areas, you can see this kind of blurring of what looks like maybe the red pixels. It's it's a it's an odd muddiness, and you have to really pay attention to see it. But it's there, and some people think maybe that that might contribute towards a sense of motion sickness. And so the, yeah. the less persistence you can get, the better. It's and better to have no data right. than to have data that lingers on. In places that you don't expect it to, yeah, like the, and so it's not exactly an order of magnitude. Though. It's a slight hyperbole on my part. It is five times though, which okay. is half halfway there. Yeah, right. They're talking about the time it takes for the pixels to turn on and off on the Vive. Yeah, was, is measured at one point eight five milliseconds. Oh, on the index, point three. Oh my gosh. So it wasn't anywhere near eleven and one. It was like starting yeah. at one, going down. To yeah. a fifth uh, of that and. Pixels, so that's movement per pixel, right? So yeah. like, it takes about two to three pixels of movement for the Vive to ch- turn on and off yeah. its pixels. And on the index, it's sub-pixel. Got it. So if, as fast as you can move your head, yeah. they believe you won't be able to see the smearing. Yeah. They're calling that a 5x yeah. increase in, yeah, in I sharpness. I, well, I, and do you feel like you could see that? That I can, that, I mean, that... Combined with 144 hertz is the thing that made it feel more present. That's like very interesting. it is. It's. I don't want. I guess a lot of people are taking it as if like the current generation, even stuff that's out that will be coming out on May 21st, yeah. the, the Rift S aren't good enough because Rift S is 80 hertz, right? Uh, Quest is 72 hertz. Those are still great. That still meets the minimum bar for presence. What I'm talking about and reduced and reduced nausea. Yeah. It really is kind of like the difference between playing a game on your computer at you know 60 or 80 hertz or something, um, which we've been doing for a long time. 60 hertz is great, and playing your PC games, and then getting a 120 hertz monitor, which PC gamers have had for years now, and people kind of can't go back from that. Right. It just everything just feels not sharper in terms of the amount of detail you see. But sharper in terms. It's of a temporal thing. I, it I get is, it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's you're more awake in there. Yeah, yeah. That's I can't wait to see it. Like that's something. Like you said, we we maybe got a taste of it in PSVR, but I want I really want to see this because I was curious about the iPad Pro when they announced this feature. I got into an Apple store, and sure enough, 
Like it's there's no question. Like you can feel it yeah. when, when you move that page. It's like you're touching it more than you're controlling a movement. Now, to be fair, it's people's head movements are very different. Most of the time, your eyes are moving. Yep. It's not your head that's yeah. moving, right? So it's not like you're scrolling down like on an iPad where you notice the double the, the frame rate all the time. It's your, really about... Your, your head is always moving. It's a minor movement. So yeah. it also is tied into then the tracking system. Yeah, okay. And so they think all that stuff is tied together. The precision of yeah. the lighthouse-based tracking, the increased resolution and field of view of the, the headset... And the fresh rate, all of that then culminates in something that just feels more like a space that you're in. So, of course, the headset will um, ship in various uh, packages. It will also come optionally with the new controllers, which they're not Knuckles officially. They are the Index controllers, as well as SteamVR Tracking Stations 2.0, the Lighthouses. It's backwards compatible with the original Lighthouses. If you already have a Vive and you just want to upgrade a part of it, it will work with the with the original Vive Wands as well if you just want the headset. Uh, and there's multiple SKUs based on what you guys uh, might want to get. But all in, it is $1,000. And that is the headline that a lot of people have used when discussing this product. Now, that's compared to an all-in $400 price point for the Oculus Rift S. And the big question is, like, why would I pay $600 more, and who is this product for? If you're the type of person that's like, I have to buy one or the other, and you don't have any headset, you're probably going to go with the Rift S. Because you're going from zero to, you're not going to buy the Lamborghini first. Yeah. You're going to buy, you're going to buy your, your, your Camry first. Uh-oh. Your... You just called the Rift S a Camry, and the Index a, wow. a Lamborghini. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the Rift S preview, which hasn't been filmed yet. That's <laughs> right. only in that one is a higher-end enthusiast model. Yeah. They're not, I mean, the difference of those is arbitrary. Right. Right. But I think the people asking, is it worth that the price difference? If that's a question you're asking, then you're probably not in the market for an index. I'm going to say the Rift S is better than a Camry. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't get fixated on, on the actual cars. I'm saying one is an enthusiast model yep. and one is an entry-level standard model. I feel like the the uh, rate of return on investment when it comes to VR tech is a bell curve. And so like Rift S hits this sweet spot of where it really starts to increase. Yeah. And you get a lot for your 400 bucks there. And keep in mind, this is not a fair market. Facebook is basically selling these things at a much higher loss, much lower... Uh, uh, profit margin than the other guys because they want to accelerate this adoption of VR at all costs. And so yeah. Valve is ha is making more money on these almost without a doubt. You know, the proper comparison should be the Vive Pro. Right. Or a Pimax system. Exactly. Like everything else has these prices that make a lot more sense economically. And if you compare it to the Vive Pro, the all-in price index is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Or or the original Vive. Like the original Vive is eight hundred bucks, I think. Yeah. Um, this is two hundred dollars more, and it's you know it's it's higher level technology. And I, I, but but I'm what just back to my point. The index is further up that curve, and it's you pay more for you know more bleeding edge technology. Right, right. There is definitely some diminishing returns in terms of what you get per dollar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
And the way the price breaks down, I think, was what caught people off guard a little bit too, because it's five hundred dollars for the headset, which, at this point, having only used it for half an hour, I think that's reasonably fair. Like it is a, on paper, improvement. And <clears throat> we haven't even talked about the audio, over even what was on the Vive Pro, which is eight hundred dollars, and people were taken aback by how much the base stations cost and how much the controllers cost. Yeah, the controllers, controllers two eighty. Two eighty, and I think that's people are like, whoa, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Right for these controllers, um, and we don't know. That's the really big question. We don't know if it's worth that two hundred eighty dollars. Don't you need a a game that's going to use the functionality? I need a lot of games, not just one game, right? Even though there's backward compatibility, the extra comfort, and extra versatility of having finger tracking. That's that's two hundred dollars a lot, right? That's a whole Nintendo Switch, um, and then one hundred and fifty dollars each for the uh, the PlayStation trackers, right? Which is on. To be fair, if you go to like you know HTC, that's how much they basically charge on Amazon—140 bucks for a, um, a base station 1.0, because um, it's it's real hardware, and that is just the kind of added cost of the type of tracking and the type of VR that they're selling. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of games, they did also announce that they w- they are making. Not only are they making a flagship title for VR, but it will be out this year—a Valve game made for VR, what they're calling a flagship title. Now, I don't know if the number three is going to be in the title of the game, but if it is, it's a good thing, whether it's Portal or Half-Life. I'd be very excited for either one. That would you be think, amazing. Do you, did you get a sense that they're so invested in VR that they would take those two titles, which would just be earth-shattering yeah. for the community to see and put them in VR. Do you remember the orange box? I do. Portal, Half-Life Episode 2, I want to say, and Team Fortress 2. I mean, that that go that is a contender for best retail product ever shipped to PC gamers anywhere. And so I wouldn't put it past them to do something like that. That would be amazing. Because it is... It is slicing the market in a big way yeah but they don't need like they are in such a rare position where they don't need to rush anything they can package things together they can sell to a niche market they don't make money on their game sales they make money they are swimming in steam revenue it's less about the money to me more about if you're going to put in the time and effort to make portal 3 are you going to release it on an ecosystem that only like 10% of the community that wants to play Portal 3 is on? Look, if you're going to make a game, what you make the game the most amazing experience that you can, and you don't necessarily worry about are people going to be able to play it or not. I mean, what are they going to do with a first-person perspective in 2019 that hasn't been done before? I mean, it's, it's an exhausted uh, genre, and... VR is the complete opposite. It's this wild west where everyone's figuring out what works and what doesn't. And I don't. I feel like so few developers have nailed it. And Valve has the potential to be one of them. So I, I don't know anything, right? Like I'm not being coy. There's no extra NDA or anything. Gabe didn't like pull no. you into his office. He's no. like, Norm, I'm going to tell you something. You got to see this, man. I literally know nothing about what this content could be. And I think if you read like on Polygon, uh, Colin Campbell, mm-hmm. who was there, of the story for them, he says in the story, he tried pulling Valve aside and yes. tried saying, give me some hints, man. And they didn't give him anything either. He would have said that with a British accent. <clears throat> right. Uh, 
I think that if you look, so there is going to be content, new Valve-based content that's coming out with Index. It's called Aperture Hand Lab. And it kind of is an extended version of the Robot Repair Lab. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Valve also made. Mm-hmm. Less the lab. The lab was a collection of experiences. Yeah. Robot Repair Lab was more like, that was one of our first room scale experiences yeah. that we did. Wonderful. Had interaction, had personality. Um, and Aperture Hand Lab is like that, but it's a little longer. It's actually being co-developed by Cloudhead Games. Um, but all the the Aperture, the Portal World stuff is in there. And if you look at the past stuff that Valve has done, I think that really points to the direction, in my opinion, of where they see their strengths in VR. And a lot of that is in the interaction with NPC characters. There's world interaction that could be a lot of fun. We've seen great world interaction in other games, but having really great virtual characters that come alive yeah. in these robots because of their clever writing. And remember, Valve hired um, uh, the um, the Firewatch folks, mm-hmm. Campo Santo. They're all they're, they're working on their, their Egypt Egypt archaeology game, but they're also great writers. Uh, Sean Fanneman, they're all at Valve now. I I think we're I, I'm hoping for some fun mechanic that they're going to have that's going to take advantage of VR, but. I think regardless of what it's going to be, it's going to be about being in that space. Whatever world they build, yeah. they're going to populate with great characters. And if it is a portal-based world, an Aperture Labs-based world, I'd be happy for that to be a full game. Video games used to be inextricably connected to technology and, and cutting-edge technology. For all of the 70s, the 80s, and, and the 90s, if you played video games, you weren't just having fun playing with mechanics. You were also playing with cutting-edge technology all the time like that's part of what games did was they experimented with and pushed interface and graphics and sound technology to new heights and you always got to experience something new that you hadn't before and in in more recent years wonderfully it's opened up to a huge indie community and you know even triple a development that doesn't necessarily push technology as as integrally as they used to to the video games but they they pushed you know mechanics and just the the fun factor. VR, I feel like, is a return to this pushing of technology. And I, and I think that if you love video games for that reason, as much as I do, that's part of what makes VR games so exciting. And I could see that also being a part of why a developer would be attracted to it and why Valve might want to do whatever game they wanted to in that in I that mean, space. Valve is also very different from Facebook in that, one, they don't have as much money as Facebook. And two, they're... You don't know how much money they have. I, don't, I have no idea how much money they have. I, they, I'm pretty sure I can confidently say they don't have as much money. I think you're probably right. As Facebook. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're also not seeding developers like Facebook is with Oculus Studios. Yeah. You know, they are hiring developers like Cloudhead Games to work on these projects. But they're in the position where they are the developers. And they have the luxury of having, you know, probably good cash flow to spend time and make the game they want. Yeah. A AAA game. Uh, without having to worry about sales because they are selling a platform, but not also that's their strategy as opposed to funding development on a, you know a dozen different developers. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if their strategy with the <laughs> VR development has played out to their expectations over right. the past three years. I think that they probably hoped for more successes from the indie community, but there just hasn't been the uh, the market. It's the chicken and egg. Exactly. And another one thing that they also said is that they upfront talked about the three big pillars of VR growth, right? Uh, low cost, um, low friction, and high fidelity. And uh, while Index is clearly a product pushing for high fidelity, one of the questions that was asked by one of the press there was, uh, 
do they see it possible going forward to address those other needs uh-huh. of low cost and low friction? And if so, is that in separate products? Yeah. Uh, and Valve said they do feel like they could address it and they feel like it could be in one product. Going like in the future? In the future. That's interesting. Yeah. What does that mean, Norm? It means that they rather push the tech first, ah. get the cost to come down, yeah, and then and and then figure out whatever is needed for oh. low friction and low cost. So as exciting as this week is, there's more excitement ahead. I bet there's more excitement ahead. So in addition to the Valve Index, unless you have any more questions, there also we also mentioned there's the Rift S uh, ship date along with Quest, same ship date, May twenty first. No, a mere three weeks, actually less than that by the time you're listening to this. Uh, so two uh, two weeks or three weeks from this past Tuesday. I hope no one lined up at Best Buy's yesterday morning. I know, like, so apparently there are kiosks at Best Buy throughout the country where you can see, if not try, both of the new products. Um, I think they are planning to do demo kiosks of the Quest, mm. and I think it's it's really important that they do this. I mean, it's, although it have to be tethered, it's n- that's true for security. They're never. It's never going to be something maybe eventually but not now where you well people will buy vr without trying it i think you have to try it in order to get it because as carmack has said it converts people on site like if you if you if you are skeptical and you put it on and you get a sense of what it can do it converts them insight and then <laughs> then there you go and uh so the quest the quest i am as excited about as the index like as, as i know we spent a lot of time talking to index but that's also because we now we have a little bit in, you know, um, information about it. We knew all about the quest. We just didn't know when it would come out. So now we do uh, three weeks, and it is the four hundred dollar all in one, uh, isolated th- six degree of freedom device. It, it combines the worlds of PC VR with the worlds of mobile VR into a very convenient, always in VR, all the time headset that's portable, no tethers. Uh, rechargeable. The battery lasts between two and three hours. It has touch controllers, so you have hand presence, inside-out tracking, and uh, as I said, it starts at $400, and the 128-gigabyte SKU is $500. And uh, I've ordered two of them because, Ooh. like, honestly... Just like you said in the review. I can't wait to play this with my son. Like, we have done VR but it's in, simultaneously, but it's the hugest pain in the butt because we got set up two computers and be in separate spaces, and this now we can be in the same room, sitting next to each other, and we won't not to, to be clear, we won't be able to see each other where they are in reality. It's not that type of multiplayer experience, but we'll be able to both join a game, say Rec Room or Rec NX or anything else, and play together and be able to talk to each other in the same room and experience that together. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to is sharing a VR experience with other people in the same room because up until now, really, it's been a matter of miming for friends and family. Does the pa- like with multiplayer? Does the pass through actually warn you when somebody's entering no. your guardian play space? No, that's a really good question. Or a cat? Mm-hmm. No, and and I, yeah, I someone shared with me an idea for a product, but I I won't share it here in case that they're really serious about it. But that that is a good question. Your guardian space is, uh, you know, it's really easy to set up. As we said in our review, you you now put the headset on in both the S and the Quest, and you draw it. You point at the floor, and you just draw a line, a box around your space, and you're done. You don't have to take your headset off and walk around or anything like that. But now when you get to the edge of that, the camera fades in, and you see the real world. But that only happens when you reach the edge of your space and stick your head through it, not when somebody enters your space. So you still have to be careful about what's around you. 
I just tried the Quest like minutes before the podcast for the first time. I pre-ordered it sight unseen. I yeah. didn't even watch your review before yeah. I pre-ordered it because I was, I was in, because uh, I never got to go, and I I kind of I was waiting for this. Yeah, the setup took like. Less than a minute. Oh, you set it up out here too? Yeah, I cool. like set up a guardian yeah, and, yeah. The, and just like I've set up guardians so much. And I because I've had so different fast. experiences from from you, Jeremy. I know you had more seamless experiences going from room to room, and it remembers. And it, it, it's supposed to remember five spaces, and you can't tell which space to delete. Like right, you can't. There's no visualization of these are your five spaces. Yeah, like it just it's supposed to just work. Uh, for me, I've, I've, it's not a problem because it's so quick, but I just kind of set up the garden every time, almost. And you were suggesting maybe that's because you moved some furniture, yeah, something about the environment or... changed. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that, that's also something that could be fixed via that, software. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was shocked when I first put it on. Like, I read all the specs. Uh -huh. I knew it was going to be a better experience than putting on the go. I knew it was going to be better than my original Rift. But when I put it on, it looked better than I thought it would. In what sense? It like the resolution of the screen, mm. just sort of uh, the overall like responsiveness in the actual environment. The mobile processor was like kind of handling yeah. me switching back and forth uh, at a reasonable speed. It was really kind of shocking how good it looked to me. You know, the first thing that happened when Kishore picked up the controllers. Oh, well, no. I did this. What upside down? I had the controllers upside down because the circles. Yeah, I'm still, as you said, as we said in our review, not used to that, and I really think it's not a, just a matter of getting used to it. I do think the original touch controllers are better. Weight, weight wise, yeah, weight distribution. Because the weight is better nestled in your hands, whereas now, since the rings face upward, there's you, there's just more uh, of a necessity to keep them upright. What? Why are they facing upward? Because the cameras are here. And so all the inside-out tracking needs to see the ring. And, and if they're below your hands, they're obscured. Yeah, oh, okay. So, so, so the, it's an occlusion thing. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but um, so, yeah, I think Oculus Quest is a revolutionary product. It is a whole new product category. Oculus thinks of it as a third tier. They don't think of it as a Rift competitor entire, um, at all. They have now three tiers, the Go, the Quest, and the, and the Rift. I do wonder how much life the Go has left in it. Um, it is half the price of the Quest. That's, so that's got that going for it. But as a three-doff experience, as someone who wants to see VR adopted you know, as much as anybody, I would encourage people to try the Quest and not the Go and well, at least know what the differences are. Go's going to live and die by uh, video content and successive stereo video content yeah. and immersive video. So I think people, there are a lot of companies betting on that and a lot of people who it's true. don't want to play games and just want to watch video. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, now, the launch lineup, and, and something we alluded to at the end of Quest is that for VR enthusiasts, people already bought in. It's, kind of, it's like a no-brainer. We think it's a, a steal, right? 400 bucks for all this tech. For people who have never used VR and maybe want to, don't know if, don't know about content, know about the games, they're making a decision of whether they're going to spend 400 bucks on this or buy a Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like probably the most direct comparison. Yeah. Self-contained video game unit. And Which Switch has... Also has VR. Has VR. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, I still have to try the Labo VR. Yeah, we'll I, I, helped, right I helped you guys build for a, a couple hours, but it took a, um, a whole weekend for Will to finish it off. So Oculus has touted 50-plus titles at launch, and there's a full list. Yeah. So we should talk about that full list because... Oh, my God. You want to read the list? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> 
going through Just it. Just the key ones. It's very clear that one, there's a whole subsection of at least a dozen of them that are ports. Only so a like, dozen? I feel like uh, more than half. So like your super hots, your yeah. No, but super hot's one of the one of the great ones. Like I, I'm excited. <laughs> but isn't that a port still? Totally. But yeah. I I still first of all, dude, they ported PC games to a mobile platform and did a great job with it. Like, don't undersell it. I'm not underselling it. I'm okay. just saying in terms of new experiences for people. Yeah. And also that those experiences don't necessarily take the best advantage of untethered mobile VR. That's true. Right? They all kind of have the same standing room considerations that that are designed for Rift in mind. Yeah. But it, it brings a lot of value. Because if you enjoyed those games on your Rift, now you can still have them on your Quest. I just want to give some context to yeah. the 50 title launch lineup. Because it's not 50 Quest only right quest yeah. specific games which I, I was hoping for more of at least they also include things like oculus gallery oculus browser oculus tv <laughs> like, yeah they include their the basic generic apps there are yeah. a lot of like video apps in here yeah you know virtual desktop um no virtual desktop's useful no, no i'm saying i'm not saying they're useful okay. but like again these are not all games yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. you gotta take a lot of this 50 number with a grain of salt and what it boils down to is like the new things that are made specifically for quest there's only like a handful, you know, a dozen or so that I'm really excited by. But even though some of the, I think some of the ones you're thinking of, they're actually cross-platform with Rift. Well, Journey of the Gods, yep. for example. Vader Immortal, and, absolutely, well, which that's, we haven't played. That's and that is, and that is also going to cross-platform with Rift. Oh, is it Rift too? Because I was, I was thinking Shadowpoint, that's also going to be cross-platform. Yeah, and Rift, uh, Vader will come out with later. It'll launch on Quest. Oh, interesting. But Rift later. Gotcha. Um, uh What's that one? Um, Sports Scramble. Love Sports Scramble. Yeah. And so, like, and for our review, we only had access to, you know, about 15 different games. Ten at first, and then they yeah. gave us maybe eight more. Yeah, and there are a lot here that I wish we had more access to. Sure. No, I can't wait to see Rec Room, because, honestly, I know that you guys think it's low poly, and the textures are flat, and it shouldn't be a problem, but... That, there's a lot going on in that game, especially we played that together more than any other game. Right, especially in VR. especially socially, and I I feel like they developed that game for PC without regard for optimization, and they they had to spend they have to spend the past six months working their asses off on that, and I I really want to see because there's it's supposed to be completely compatible, it's the same world, and so I want to see how they pulled that off, especially something like Rec Royale, yeah, and it's shared pool of users. On exactly. flat screen, in PSVR, on Rift, and in Quest. And it's a launch title. Yeah, it's a launch title. Uh, the two big uh, Rift or desktop VR experiences that I want to really play on Quest, um, aside from Super Hot, uh, Robo Recall. Yeah. Because that, I feel like being untethered will be a big deal. True. And But there's a lot of concern about do the graphics hold up. That's that's also another reason I want to try it. And then also um, Tilt Brush. Hmm. Yeah, walk into your stuff. It's like completely get lost personally not a launch title i've mentioned this several times i'm a huge fan of racket nx but i've always wanted to be a bigger fan <laughs> because i've always gotten tangled in the cord and they know that you do it's a 360 degree racquetball experience and it, there's actually a multiplayer component to it too where you we've played it before where you stand in different areas of the court and you can hit the ball um and it's it's really, really fun, and I think it's one of those games where you can really actually get a bit of a workout playing it. But even in their in their game, when you come out of the game between matches, you can look down and you can see how many times you've spun and in which direction. You can mm -hmm. unwind yourself. So they've actually 
built-in compensation for that problem that Quest will completely abolish. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, Facebook of the F8 keynote, uh, you know, John DeCarmack talked about Beat Saber. Uh, Sean Liu was on stage talking about a variety of experiences. One yeah. was a game called uh, Acron, or is it Acorn? It's Acron. Acron. Yeah. Yeah, and it is uh, not a launch title, but it is going to be a multiplayer VR game that's going to be uh, asymmetrical. Love it. So, so what you're saying is there will be people in VR who can play with people who are not in VR. On iPhones or, you know, whatever, smartphone. Like uh, PlayStation VR's awesome, what was it called? Uh, the Play... Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, with the robots. Yeah. Or uh, Keep Talking and No One Explodes. Mm -hmm. Which is a launch title on, on Quest. True. So I this is a great idea because... It's fun to watch people play VR, but it's more fun to play with them because there's this whole blindfold mechanic that just inherently comes along with it. And playing, even watching along with them is fun. They did tout the, the casting ability now. You can cast more than just on phone. You can go to a Chromecast Ultra, Chromecast 3rd Gen. Uh, in our experience with it, it um, was a little bit too much latency. You know, whatever. It's better than nothing. I think if you're curious what people are seeing, if you're helping somebody through their first experience. Well, the problem is for a game like Beat Saber, and we see a lot of Beat Saber, yeah. you have to be tuned to the music. No, no, it's not for that. It's for, you put it on your mom and you're helping her navigate a menu. That I completely see. Yeah. But I think people want. To, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To be in the same room watching someone play yeah. Beat Saber. And how great would it be for the kiosks to have it shown immediately up on the screen? Like, it, it, I, we all wish it could do it. Is yeah. the casting the only way you can see an output from the You can record locally. Yeah, it's the only way you can see live output. Oh, that's disappointing. People were Only because for, like, Twitch or something like that, it might be fun to have a setup. No, there is can... Facebook streaming. Uh, yes, that's right. That's what yeah. it was. But there's no USB-C mm -hmm. connection. It does have a USB-C port, but... I think that they only take advantage of that for the data transfer speeds on the Quest. The charging rate is straight up traditional USB rates of about an amp at 5 volts. Uh, but you can play and charge at the same time. And the battery uh, capacity goes up as it charges and you play. So if you have a, a sweet battery pack, like I, I used a, a Quick Charge 3 compatible battery pack with a USB-A to C adapter, it worked great. And uh, so it's kind of unlimited Game or pack. you can just get a really long USB-C cord and like it comes experience with a ten foot cable. You can experience like being tethered again. <laughs> it's like tethering <laughs> right. simulator just for power. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're all excited. The Rift S also same date um, follow up to the Rift and it, Oculus. I'm surprised they even sent us one, given how clear they were about this just being the exact same ecosystem and platform as the existing Rift. Like they're they're just looking at this as a smooth transition, not a big deal. But they've simplified setup. It's inside-out tracking. No more setting up trackers around your space. And um, we'll be reviewing that later this week, hopefully, like, like we talked about. All right. You feel good about all that? I do. All right. So that's the VR news. And that is most of the show. If you've seen Endgame, you're about to listen to the part of the show we've all been looking for. Oh, but before we do that, I do want to thank our next sponsor that makes this episode possible. And that's Evident. Evident is revolutionizing the way personal data is shared. Evident provides a simple, secure platform that lets businesses commonly know who they are dealing with and without handling sensitive personal data. With connections to thousands of authoritative sources through a single API, Evident is the only platform that enables comprehensive, accurate, and up-to-date identity and credential verifications, and companies can create a solid foundation of trust and safety on their platform, allowing them to seamlessly verify workers in less time 
and with more confidence. Businesses can stay up to date on any changes to relevant information as well as readily adapt if and when compliance requirements evolve. Evident is bringing confidence and peace of mind to personal data interactions across the globe. Verify anything without the risk and expense of handling sensitive personal data. Go check out evidentid.com slash test to sign up and get started immediately. That's evidence, I-D, E-V-I-D-E-N-T, ID.com slash test to sign up and start running verifications in minutes. We're in the end game now, kids. There, one of the red lights are on, so you know it's spoiler time. <laughs> I couldn't get the other one to turn red. Wow. Should we do initial like thoughts before we dive into some real spoiler things? Did you like the movie? I love the movie. I did. I did. I, I, I Like I said, I saw it 3.3 times. Mm-hmm. I love the movie. I cried six times. And I, I'm going to be quiet for most of this talk because I already did a 55-minute spoiler cast with Will and Adam, which will be out on Still Entitled next week. But I'll chime in. But I love I, the movie as well. I mostly like this movie. Um, <sighs> like, I, I liked it. And, and, but I also reckon you also have to acknowledge what it is. It is... A, and by the way, full spoilers right now. Well, the red light's on. Red light's on. Just, I just we, give them one last chance. We're recording, right? Okay, the red yeah. light's on. Uh, oh, God. It's that it is, a, it is a love letter to the last 21 films. And so it's not a standalone film. You can't just enter here yeah. and I think have a great experience. I want to know you what people also, who try to. Uh, yeah, I'm really curious what their experience was because this could have been called Call Back the Movie. Right. And, uh, but... That love letter only works if you're invested in every single uh, character that's there. Can you list all uh, a callback to at least one callback to every film oh before? God. So I tried Let's that last it. night, and the only one I couldn't find was to Guardians Two, and I'm sure it's in there, and I just couldn't figure it out. So like, w- there's a ton of callbacks to Iron Man, uh, Incredible Hulk when he's uh, having lunch with him. He talks about going back into the gamma ray machine, mm. and you know, he's also to get eating Professor the. Uh, Hulk. He's eating the uh, the fudge, the Ben and Jerry's Hulk flavor. Mm-hmm. No uh, way. Yes. You can like go. Th- you can go through, and it, it pretty much nails every movie. Like even the bad ones, like Thor: The Dark World. There's oh a God. ton of stuff. Gets a lot of love that movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the one you guys told me not to watch, and then like half this movie hinges on it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. Like, yeah, no idea. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, the other one they it was heavily rested on was Ultron, yeah. which is like the yeah. worst Avengers movie. And so it was just kind of funny. It has that, its fans. Yeah, but I mean, it's not. Me. It's but it's still the worst of the Avengers movies. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that I th- the, I was struck by the emotion of that love letter, and then the bold choices, like the way it started seeing Hawkeye's family leave and then just going into the song. You know, exactly. No, no, I loved that Marvel logo intro because you always, you, in all the other films, you get the the, or, the orchestral music. Except Infinity War, which has like a very somber music intro. Is for it them. even music for that one or is it just quiet? It, you hear the Asgardian distress call oh, during the oh. Marvel overlay. Yeah. I love this. I love the soundtrack um, um, of this um, whole um, film. It's, it's the same composer, Alan Silvestri. Yeah. as uh, Avengers and Infinity War. and But this was not... He pulls, a, the, he, he pulls some great hits at the yeah. right moments, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's also a more uh, orchestral, yes. um, emotional score. Totally. How much do you want to see this movie live scored? Because yeah. it is the score yeah. of every movie gets plugged in. Like yeah. You hear the Ant-Man like little like drum beat when every time they're talking about the time heist. God, 
I would pay so much money to see a live orchestra in this because it's just musically scored pretty much throughout. And when it when there isn't music, it's because something really emotional is happening. Hmm. Um, something really incredibly sad. So you notice when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think the music scoring on in this movie is off the charts. I think when you really tar- start to interrogate the movie is where it starts to like crumble in your hand. Who's in, who interrogated it? No, I mean like when you start to in, like really dive into the details, this movie starts to crumble. Like the plot doesn't make a ton of sense. The timey wimey stuff is kind of rough. Uh, all, but who cares? Just like if you're in the emo- if you buy into the emotional stakes, it works. Well, now hold on. I liked what they did with the time travel. Now, I granted, there's always holes in time travel, and to a certain extent, like, once you do time travel, it's like, ah, uh, now you've got that in your universe, and you've got all kinds of problems. You can solve anything. Star Trek did it. They're embracing it. No, you it. can't. You can't solve everything, not with the way they solve time travel. So, but I like what they did. I like that they said, Back to the Future is a ton of bullshit. I, that cracked me up every time I see the film. I mean, it was a funny line. I thought it would have hurt you a little bit as a Back to the Future fan. I loved it. Like, every movie has its right to handle time travel the way that they want to. But I liked that they said every other movie has done it wrong. And, of course, haven't you even given it some thought, you silly human? So do you want to talk about Yeah, should we do a science tangent for a second? Do it. Okay. So what was... Oh, my God. Props. Yeah, they're (laughs) props. Um, I got to wait for the music. Now it's time for a moment of science. So with basically three phrases, they they explained the entire science of the movie, which was somewhat legitimate. So uh, uh, Tony is the only one that does like the science uh, babbly speak, like Star Trek babble speak. And he says two things that are sort of critical. He's like, when he's basically rejecting that this is possible uh, to cap uh, Ant-Man and, and uh, Nat, yeah. he he says uh, you got to operate on the Planck scale. Planck scale is a, a real thing in quantum mechanics about the sort of small universe. And he says then you enter the Deutsch proposition. Triggers the. Yep. Triggers the. And are it, we all in agreement here? Right. Yeah, are we all in agreement here, right? So it's actually called the Deutsch prescription and it's named after a British quantum physicist who came up with this idea that um, you're familiar with the Heisenberg uh, or Schrodinger's cat. Sorry, excuse me. Like the idea that there's a cat in a box and there's a cesium atom in there. And when that poison is sort of triggered, that cat could be, is alive or dead until you observe it. And then the wave function of the state collapses. And then we see this. Well, uh, physicist Deutsch came up with this idea that no, both things are true. Uh, the observation does collapse the wave function, but it creates a reality when you do so. But also true at the same time, it creates a parallel reality where the other choices happen. So as soon as you open the box, both you basically fracture time mm. so that there is one version of t- of the timeline mm-hmm. where the cat is alive and one that it's dead. Okay, fine, yeah. This explains their many worlds hypothesis that is embedded in this movie. So just with that one phrase, turn of phrase, they actually explain the, the science behind this. And so now we're going to actually demo it. Isn't that similar to the Sorcerer Supreme's explanation? Yes, of the, the, doc, the, the, uh, the, the ancient, ancient one. one. Doc, doc sort of. Chalkboard. Sort of. 
So we got the flow of time here. We're going to channel a little H and one. Yeah. Well, I got an orange timeline. I feel like that's pretty, pretty good. So Norm is going to hold one end of the timeline. Fuck. Um, and uh, and I have the other one. So in the in the Marvel universe, uh, the flow of time is linear, Mm -hmm. and so you can't back to the future. Anything, anything that happens is part of your past, and the past cannot be changed. Thanks, Bruce. That is the number one rule: the past cannot be changed. So how do they travel through the the past of their timeline? Right. Yeah, Yeah, of their timeline changes. Right. So they come up with. An inverted Mobius strip. <laughs> For view, uh, listeners of the podcast, Kishore has two tape pieces of paper in the roughly the form of a no, I mean, it's one piece of paper. So basically, if they start where my finger is, close to my end, they're able to actually go through the quantum realm and come out the other side at another point. Now, this doesn't change their past. All they've actually done is when they come out in that other time uh-huh. period and they start to do stuff, it fractures that timeline and creates an alternate timeline that they're in. Yeah, with you. So now we are creating alternate timelines. So everything that we see when Loki disappears with the Tesseract, all has happened is it doesn't change the fact that Loki dies in this timeline. What it does is it creates a whole new timeline where Loki is alive with the Tesseract. I don't don't understand how the Mobius Strip comes into play. Mobius Strip is how they travel between the two places because that's how they when they go into the quantum realm yeah it's at the quantum realm they're able to entangle two points in time and actually travel along that mobius strip to get there and then to come back it out. allows you to step off of one part of the shoestring and, and so the the idea because of the mobius strip weird. is if you look at it as a slide they essentially um uh jump on the slide and slide through uh-huh. and out the other side of it yeah what happened to Scott when the Hulk was was doing was kind of at the controls initially is that the Mobius strip was turning, was moving. And so they're actually pushing time through Scott. Wait, that was an actual theory? No, I mean, it's made up. But I mean, it's like that's what they were. That's how Tony explained it. Yeah, away, yeah, yeah. Is that you're it works pushing, in the logic of the world. It's it works and it's consistent with each other. That's so cool. he's pushing time through Scott as yeah. opposed to the other way around. So now we need to give a label to our oh, main Lang. T- I thought he meant like some scientist. That's funny. That's good. So we have to give labels to these timelines because we're creating one. So I'm going to come up with an arbitrary thing. Um, let's call this one 616 for some reason. Um, and uh, so now to make sure that this timeline isn't overrun by darkness, Cap has to go back and place the stones in this timeline back to where they were. And presumably each timeline has an identifier. So he's going back to the right and spinoffs. And we know this because Eric Selvig on a blackboard in Thor the Dark World mm-hmm. behind him actually labels this timeline 616 as the universe, which is part of the Marvel canon. Is This is the 616 universe. universe. So as he does that and he anchors this timeline with the stones back in its place, Cap makes a choice yeah. to stay. And also the conceit here, as the ancient one explains, is... Timelines can be fractured. That's okay. That's a natural yeah. cause and effect. That's a natural part of quantum physics. The only thing that's bad is when the stones that anchor timelines to reality. The flow of time. The flow of time. When one of those leaves, then darkness happens. Darkness can happen. Yeah. Can happen. Yes. Now, so, but just to, on that point of Cap staying, it looked to me like he, the, 
The oldest stone that they retrieved was from 1970. But the last shot of the film, he's earlier than that. He's in the 50s or 40s. Yeah, right. So there's all sorts of unsort unanswered questions about what Cap did. So he went, think, he went back further. Yeah, so I think what you should take away from what Cap did is that any ramifications, especially with what he did with uh, Agent Carter, is not, he didn't really do that in our timeline. So like Peggy Carter in our timeline mm -hmm. got married and had a life, and we see them having that sweet oh, moment during not, Civil War. It's not red but he, didn't take he was that the away. husband the whole time? I don't think so, but mm. I, because he created an alternate timeline by stay, staying. So if he did marry Peggy, which we don't actually know, maybe he just got the dance and moved on. He got married. They got married. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Is that he's created a different timeline where all of that, where his happiness comes, and he has to travel back to the 616 reality yeah. to give Sam the shield. And that's why he has a whole shield, is he traveled to a different timeline. You know, it's a different shield at the end, too. It is. That is, it was so cool that it was a slightly different shield. Different shield that never existed? It was just slightly different than the one he had huh. when he, um, before Thanos broke, broke it. But you, you do think he went back to the 1940s slash 50s and he lived through the 616. Think about what he had to do, or right? He had whatever to, that, that's what that I'm saying. But, yeah. And he did so have, uh, avoiding any entanglement, any confrontation with shield or with uh, yep. Hydra, all that stuff. He ignored it that time around, right? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Well, maybe. I mean, we, we kind of don't know. If right? he interfered, it would have messed with the timeline. No. It no. Would've, it would've with That's that back timeline. to the future bullshit. It, it would have just messed with that timeline. It would have created a fracture if he did that. Yeah. And so what's interesting about him going to the past, beyond like there's so many questions, he had to go to Asgard to return uh, Meow Meow. He had to go to... Um, Vormir. Uh, Vormir. And he had an old buddy hanging out in Vormir. Yeah. So what happened there? That was fascinating. I, I mean, a man lost in time is a comic book arc. Hundred percent. Yeah. Captain America dies in the comics, and then he comes back because his consciousness is going through different time periods. So this is the MCU's nod to that. The other question that remains is, what did Tony actually do when he snapped his fingers? Like we know, we saw what he dusted everyone. He dusted the bad guys. Do we think that's all? Tony minus did? Gamora. Yeah, we don't know about Gamora. She's missing. Well, she just took off after the fight. Who did she hit to ride no, with? No, we didn't see her after the dust. Yeah. Who, who did she hit to ride with? She's Gamora. She could find her. Who? Yeah. That's Guardians 3. Kara is asking me this question. As Guardians of the Galaxy. I yeah. don't know the answer to that question. That's a good question. What? Who she took off with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, maybe she's she, maybe she didn't. Yeah, she could still be on Earth. Oh, uh, stupid Quill. But when one we, place he wasn't looking. Quail. So I was just blown away by how consistent that timeline commitment was, but it's really hard to wrap your head around yeah. if you're stuck in the Back to the Future bullshit. No, not, don't call it bullshit. First of all, like this whole thing about like it would be Back to the Future splintering if, or it would be uh, splintering not Back to the Future if he had messed with any of the Hydra stuff along the way from the 1940s back to the 2018, or no, it was five years in the future, like 2023. That's not. Is that true? Like, if he had messed with any Hydra stuff, they would have known that he existed. Yeah, he did in 2012. That already created a different reality when he messed around with the with the retrieval of when he hail Hydra. So there's a different timeline there that was created. We just don't get to see those. We won't see we that. Won't see those That's not our timeline. Yeah. Right, but but he ends up in the 616. So we just he don't puts know. the stone back in right. 616. We, we, we don't know how he comes back. Oh, I see. You're, yeah, we that's don't what you're know. suggesting. We don't know how he comes back to oh. the MCU. You don't. Oh, okay. We don't see that. You don't think he existed in that timeline then? 
No, he just kind of he he jumped back. back. Oh, he, he got old. Yeah, got the shield and then jumped back. Oh, that's what you think. Yes, and then the Russo brothers have acknowledged that. Oh, that's interesting well. to a certain extent. Like they haven't. I think there's more to that. Story. So there's more pin particles somewhere. Let yeah. Uh, in that universe, probably. He took four sets of pin particles, and then Hank Pym was al- alive again, too, so he could have made more. That's right. Uh, let's talk about the moments we cried, oh, because yeah. I think that's where... Okay, I only have one. Yeah. Uh, I love you 3,000. Oh, so good. At the very end. No, well, I, I got me both times. I, I would say, I, No, I would say both, too. Yeah. Just actually both scenes with her, with the, uh, I'm going to get you all the cheeseburgers you want. Cheeseburgers did me Call in. back. Yeah. Beautiful callback. I love that. I love that scene. Cheeseburgers got me. All right, you guys really go. Hard. Get, get, hit your six. Uh, well, uh, the Hawkeye scene got me teary at first, but that I didn't cry. The initial opening, it, it was just sort of caught off guard. I think I would have, I cried in subsequent ones, but caught me off guard. Love you three thousand. Uh, I cried when they're in nineteen seventy, and he's looking through the glass at Peggy. Oh, really? Well, then you must have been satisfied by the ending. I was very satisfied by the ending. I was more satisfied by the bench. Hmm. Um, on your left. You got that reference? Oh, yeah. 100%. That's my favorite MCU movie. I had to read about that one. And even when he's on the bench, Sam sits down on his left. Hmm. Or stands to his left. They're con- consistent with the on your left. Uh, wow. Um, so... Tony's funeral we talked about. Um, uh, yeah, I, what am I missing? There's there's oh. a couple people at Tony's funeral I don't recognize. What, okay, not, there's, there's a lot of talk about the kid. At the I, 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 will, I will answer those questions. Yeah. Let me, let me oh, you want to do all the cry? Right. Okay, <clears throat> do the tears. Cassie and, and... Oh, yeah, Cassie and... Cassie and, and uh, Ant-Man. I think that's a hugely powerful moment. Really? I don't... The I felt like that was really bad. Oh, I, I, I felt like, like if I were a friend of Paul Rudd's, I would have been like, I saw the acting you did there. You know, oh, I thought it was great. He's, he's a great comedic actor. He's not a dramatic actor. I think the weight of him, because the emotional stakes in both Ant Man, yeah, one and Ant Man two are smaller, are Ant Man the Wasp and Ant Man are yeah. about family ties. Uh, him not having lost his family, and he was the one being lost, mm-hmm. and it's a, her reaction to him rather than his reaction to her that you feel. Yeah, the camera's all on him though. I, I I feel for you. I'm glad you felt that moment. I'm glad somebody did. Uh, Thor and Freya. Really? That one didn't... Oh, Who's that? His mom. His mom. I loved that scene. I loved that scene. Didn't make me cry, but I loved it. Didn't make me cry. That's what I'm saying. I thought it was good. Look at my um, Isn't it? Tony and his dad. Yes. 100%. Tony and his dad. That good scene. pearl oh. of wisdom, no money has ever bought a second of time was so beautiful. That was the most Back to the Future moment. It was. This right? whole this whole movie made Call me... Call back to Iron Man 2 as well. <laughs> That's right. The whole movie made me appreciate Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. I, I mean, I know that these movies don't get a whole lot of attention for that. They're about the effects and the action and the uh, ensemble cast. But he's really good. I, he probably deserves a Best Supporting Actor now for this. I mean, I, I realize he's been playing the same character a bunch and may not even be his best performance as this character. But yeah. every scene he's in was so convincing. He, he has a Jeff when Goldblum he, kind of in the momentness about his performance. That scene where he, where he's fighting Cap at the beginning, where he calls him a liar and talks about the pseudo armor, yeah, yeah, yeah. so believable. Oh, totally, I totally agree with you. And how did they do that? Was that his gauntness? Was that an effect? Was that a post process? We assume that was a body double. 
the but they mapped his face mapped, on it. Yeah, that was really was well really done. Good, yeah, and his even his vocal performance was different, mm -hmm. and it, it looked like he was in pain, like he was almost mm -hmm. near death. Yeah, it's really well done. Uh, the on your left, the that big moment because you had your payoff, you had your callback to the comics, one man against Thanos, and then it wasn't so much like I think you could feel the moment was coming, the way they executed that moment when all the portals open, and it was a for me it was a slow walk. Mm -hmm. The Black Panther slow walk, because it was it wasn't a arms up ready to fight, you know we're at your side. It was a you can rest now. We're here. We got your back. Yeah, it, yeah. To me, it, it it is a callback to one of the most famous strips in the Infinity Gauntlet series, where Cap faces off with Thanos and he's about to kill him, and the heroes there's like a big hero contingent that's waiting for this moment. Um, for him, to, uh, for Thanos to lose focus and to attack him all at once, then, uh, and Cap delivers like a line that's basically as long as one man stands uh, against you, you will never win. And that's the only thing I I wanted to see them face to face. Like they were they were sort of a a, a chasm between them when that moment happens. I just wanted them to be close. I actually thought they were going to kill him mm. right then, and you, then the heroes were going to rally. We're going to avenge Cap. Were you surprised that they did kill him 10 minutes into the film? That is. Yes, I was surprised. Yeah. There is, because I was, I had managed to avoid being spoiled about this movie. Mm -hmm. Outside of the trailers, I didn't look into anything. And so my theory, and this actually I feel like is one of the, the weird, minor criticisms I have. So I thought there was going to be something with the soul gem. There's two things that were laid in the Infinity War movie the there's a wisdom amongst this this stone and then him and gamora seeing each other after he snaps you also the thought soul, soul world so i thought it was going to be oh. a component of the story you also thought there'd be a scroll yeah we didn't get that either um but i'm not disappointed by that i just feel like that whole like soul um you know uh, and then the the points here the funeral got me which one the points the funeral yeah. The, 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 slow, the, the slow move through everyone. So too many actors that must have been an effect shot. No, it was they were all there. No, I don't believe it. They were all there. William Hurt was the only one that didn't look quite right that he was there, but it was also he was kind of... They were positioned office. perfectly. The, yeah. Their stances were appropriate for their characters. Yeah. Very stoic for Doctor Strange and Wong. Captain Marvel standing in the back overseeing everything. She yeah. didn't really know him, but like she's there. The Guardian of the Galaxy guy... Drax. Some, no, no, no. The no, the guy who who had lost his girlfriend. What's his name? Quill. Yeah, Quill. Yeah, Quill. he was he was looking down the whole time. Yep. very somber. Um, and for me, the reason that got me was not because it was Tony's death, it was because what that scene represented. It represent represented the universe Iron Man created. That was a th that was the the thank you. Yeah, that was Joe and Anthony saying thank you for that for what was done in that first movie and to have John Favreau the yeah. director of that movie sitting there love it in those scenes it was I, it was the the Thanos line yeah that, you know he he can finally rest and watch the sunrise on literally a grateful marvel universe so there's three people in the back before you get to Captain Marvel um and one of them is the kid from Iron Man 3 yeah. I, yeah. I had to look that one up but there's two other people back there's there. There's Agent Hill, who Rudy is Hill? Uh, Nick Fury's second in command. She's in the Avengers. I didn't She's recognize in her. Winter Soldier. No, I would have. Rec I thought I would have recognized her. And the her. other is General Thunderbolt Ross, 
who was the main antagonist in the Hulk movie. And then he authored the Sokovia Accords. And so he's like the Secretary of Defense. Hmm. He's like a character everyone likes to tell to, you know, screw, go screw yourself. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the the places that, that really stuck is... Um, God. It's I, still on your left, like still, it still get it got me. Okay. It got me. I could see it coming. Yeah, I was a little eye rolly when Cap gets meow meow, um, at first, but on subsequent viewings, I'm okay with it. Biggest cheer. Oh no, biggest cheer. So opening night at the Alamo, uh, when he calls the he goes Avengers, and there's the pause and the music dies. Somebody screams in the theater. Say it. <laughs> And then he says assemble, and then it all just goes. It was perfect. It was so perfect. When did they say had, Avengers assemble in the past? He's never said he's it. He's never said it, but it is like their tagline. Avengers assemble is like oh. all been uttered throughout comics, and they avoided saying it for 20 some oh, movies. Oh, that's awesome. And the, there's an end of, I think, Avengers Ultron. of Ultron. He's about to say it, but it cuts. <laughs> the movie ends right before he says assemble. And so this is the first time he says it. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I, I, I rolled initially a meow meow, but I, I thought it worked out. Can we give a shout out to Thor? Like, ha, like the, just the choice to make him the dude was, was pretty bold. Um, and it also was a little overdone for he, me. He, we can't just gloss over that moment where he picks up Mjolnir because that was that, as Norm said, huge moment, huge. Like that was one of the moments that you you're waiting for an Avengers film. What's going to surprise me? And that was it. That was the big surprise. Mm-hmm. Tell me in the fantasy, in the fiction, how is it possible that he wields it and he couldn't? He's worthy. He couldn't in Ultron. This is a callback to Thor. Uh, the theory is that he could in Ultron. I just chose not to. He pretended to. He pretended. To protect that, Thor's that, that was my theory. Yeah. yeah. And that's why Thor says I knew. That's what I said. I knew, I knew it. it. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I'd also read some other theories that it was because he was holding on to the secret Bucky, about no. Bucky. I think I don't, that's that's contrived. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I like it. I like your your thinking. He is the best. I thought, and, and he's not the only character to wield it besides Thor in that movie. Yeah. Thanos. No. No. Grabs Vision. it. Well, no. No. Earlier, yeah, Vision could, but in in this movie, Thanos grabs it. He grabs the new hammer. He grabs Stormbreaker, which, which is, doesn't have that limitation on it. Anybody can lift Stormbreaker. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yes. Oh my god! Yeah. All right. That 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 clears that up for me. Thank you. I will say one of the great lines that I think is going unheralded is when, when it's just Cap and and Thanos left, and Thanos just goes on the screed where he just like in menacing fashion talks about how he's going to enjoy eradicating the Earth. Yeah. And it is dripping with villainy in a way that I, I thought that line is beautiful and should be remembered as one of Josh Boland's great lines well, remember this, this is 2014 thanos this is yeah. right, hot, right hot off of uh the loki fail yeah this is important and i've wanted to talk to you about this very moment most most of all i think you have a side of yourself that sympathizes with 2014 thanos that maybe sympathizes the wrong word but understands his quest for balance and he, you you find some logic in his approach am i wrong about that uh, no, he's not a, entirely a villain. Now, is he by the end of this film? Is his conclusion that there will always be those who can't see the possibilities and miss what was there? He is so much you more are, villainous in this movie. You must be wiped out. When he talks about 
erratic, then there will be no resistance. Yeah. Like how much that like maps into uh, like political fights over history. Like you, that felt like it, that felt like one, it's one of the great historic figures of infamy delivering a line of how I'm going to squash you. Yes. He's much more villainous and much less, uh, much harder to relate to. Does it make movie. you reevaluate your thoughts on Thanos? No, because I love him because he was the comic character I fell in love with when I was 12. Right. Like, yeah. so that you can't, that nostalgia doesn't evap didn't get dusted in this <laughs> in this movie, right? Like, okay, uh, uh, and he was a brilliant and cruel villain, and I, I still think they they mostly got that. I thought he was brilliant and cruel, and he sets up his own demise, which was true in the comics. He said like, you know, arrogance. He said something about arrogance blinding you, uh, and then his arrogance like blinded him to what they were capable of doing. Uh, as heroes and the sacrifices they're willing to make. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. When you, the thing that really stuck with me, I think I mentioned this to Norm, is when you look back at what Doctor Strange says in Infinity War, mm. after when Tony turns to him and he said, why'd you do that? He said, uh, he essentially says like, Tony was the only way. You now look at that as the, as Cause he's he, saying, he, I'm sorry. He knew. He knows what what has to happen. He knows that Tony has to die, um, Every, and yeah. that carries so much extra weight now. And subsequent viewings, you see it in Endgame too. Every time, at the end of the film, anyway, when he has when he talks to Doctor Strange, you can see it in his eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me about the moment. What you thought of the moment where Tony takes the gems? Mm -hmm. I it just as soon as I saw Doctor Strange look at him, I knew that. And he held, that was he holds conclusion. his finger up. Like he had just Thanos removes the power stone, punches Captain Marvel, puts it back, and then Strange knows this is the moment and he looks at Tony. Is there something we that we don't see that's off camera where he says, I need you to go get the stones? Now. No, he says one. Like he, no, this is the one. This is the one. That, this is one out that's, of 14 that million. Mean, wait yeah. a minute. That means this is the one. This is the one. We're but down that, to the one. We're fine. down to the the, mo the choice. But to, had he told Tony sometime, you're going to need to go and do this no, thing no, when no. I give you the signal. No, it's time so to be a hero. How did Tony know what to do? He just knew. And had he had off screen, had he incorporated I, his, his glove into his, his I armor? I think he knew when he first landed <laughs> and talked to him. He said, tell me this is the one where we win. Right. But he, dude, you're not... It, but uh, that glove that that Hulk uses was made out of the same stuff of Tony's armor. It was scaled up. It's basically right. the same. same so glove. You, you do think Tony had incorporated the same tech into his glove for more update? And he, but how at that moment did he know and steal to go and steal the stones? Because the stones are the source of his power, and the the, the choice, the hardest choice to make, isn't to beat Thanos, is to self sacrifice. And the amount of time it took to get them out—that's Iron Man tech. That's Iron Man tech. He's he's thinking a million times a second. He never can. He always. He's always thinking about the way out. The the clever solution is the problem, and Doctor Strange pointing out the one and giving him that look. Snaps like, the, okay, well I can't. None of these other solutions are gonna work. Self sacrifice is the only way. And he does it. Yeah, that's why it makes me wonder what he actually did when he snapped his fingers. So for me, like. Uh, what, he's 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 not the only one burdened with knowledge. I, as much as I love this movie, and I did, I've seen it many times, not as many as you. If I had a complaint, it would be about that moment. Like, I wanted the solution to this movie, the solution to what to do with Thanos, to be a mystery 
that we could have solved had we connected the dots. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was fair that Tony stole the stones and that was that was how they solved it. Yeah, I mean, they had set that up with the premise of the movie, with a time heist. Like somebody was going to snap their fingers yeah, to restore the, the whole thing. I th- and so that's just the arc of this movie. Where I thought we were going was I thought that, uh, what's her name, Gamora's sister? Nebula. Nebula. I thought that Nebula was going to be an imposter. I thought it was new Nebula posing as old Nebula. And she had gone down, and she was going to surprise everybody by saying, actually, uh, Gamora subdued my sister, you know, my alternate, and said, it's me, hi, I saved the day. I thought that was going to be it, but we didn't go that direction. I they did, went for the emotional impact. Yeah. I did think the movie was probably 15 minutes too long. There was some stuff they could have cut. <laughs> so did my son. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I think, like, uh, Hulk lunch scene. I think some of the Scott Lang realizing how much time had passed. I think some of the Thor emotional baggage stuff. Um, so apparently Natalie Portman, that, she didn't shoot, shoot any new scenes. That, that was an extra scene? Extra unused footage. I wondered about that. They just CG rocket in. Uh, we haven't talked about Nat, who's the other person that died. I love the symmetry of the movie because outside of that Hawkeye emotional scene that you start with, the first three characters you spend time with are Tony, Cap, and Nat. They do a lot to reinforce their relationship, which I thought was smart. They don't do a whole lot to bring people up to speed. If you haven't seen the other Marvel films, you think this no, is a series of vignettes. This is not for you if you haven't seen the other movies. But even if you haven't, they do a lot to reinforce their relationship because yeah. she's the one that goes and tells him that they and gives him hope. And they go on this journey, and he turns to her, smiles. This is a long way from Budapest. Like they have this history, and they're like lovers, if if you know, if not siblings. Like they have a relationship that's real. And then you you see that wonderful scene where they try to save each other. I have a minor complaint in the sense that I feel like somebody Googled the stages of grief and then mapped each of those emotions onto different characters at the beginning. So <laughs> like Hawkeye's angry, and Nat is sad. And Cap is acceptance. And, you know, like they just kind of, they had one dominant emotion instead of being slightly more complicated than mm. I think they could have been. It's minor because their performances were good. Um, but I did feel like that was a little thing. What do you think about the Jim Starlin cameo? That one meant a lot to me. Who's that? The creator of the character Thanos oh, is in the support, in the support group. group. I, yeah, I read about that. Uh, did you recognize him? Yeah, we've we've met and talked. Oh, wow. Um because he wrote the character when he was taking junior college classes um, uh, outside of Detroit, and he was pursuing this girl, and that's why he signed up for the psychology class, but he was like deeply depressed, and he wrote this character out of that sort of emotional, uh, tough time for him, which explains a lot of the character arc that you see in the comics. And uh, he's a, he's a, like, he has like, a dark mindset or that carried through into that character that... Um, I thoroughly enjoyed and seeing him there when famously Marvel and him have had a following out huh. um, was a nice nod. Were you disappointed by the uh, they didn't go with Thanos' infatuation with death? Oh, no. I thought it was so ridiculous to put on the screen um, unless they had done stuff five movies ago making Hela that embodiment and like doing some character development there. It was never going to make sense. And so uh, I appreciated that they didn't because it it just was already, they're already lumping so much onto this story. 
how are they going to resolve that? I, I was I was totally fine with that. Can we can we talk about the the one shot where Hawkeye is revealed to now be an expert swordsman? Mm-hmm. Uh, they you always expect awesome effects one shots in Avengers films, but I was blown away by that. I mean, that was so cool. The in ent- Tokyo, yeah, the entire scene from when you arrive to when um, uh, Natalie uh, or Natasha is revealed is one shot, and mm-hmm. I don't see any effects wipes. It's a the pan down from the window to the city streets. Yeah, and then the entire fight. Yeah, and it's like the the camera is a is dancing with the actors. Yeah, I loved that. That and that was such a great homage to that style of film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to martial arts films. I, I thought that was fantastic. I don't think this movie will hold up well for repeat viewings, like long-term, like some of the other ones, because it is a love letter movie. And like, how many times can you watch a movie that's like, look how great these other 20 movies were? Really? I don't know. For me, it's always going to remind me of the Disney Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> it's fair like, enough. There's some nostalgia I think, for it. I think the emotional weight of those moments are going to wear off outside of Maybe. On Your Left. I mean, on your left is always going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was, though. I after watching it, I was uh, I I liked it a lot, but probably as evidenced by the fact that I did not cry as many times as you guys did, I was I really wished that I was a bigger Marvel fan so that I would have been taken along for this ride. I appreciated it because of my casual interest in the past Marvel films and t- talking about the subject with you guys, but I could tell that this was a movie for fans, like more so than any of the other Marvel films. And I, it's hard to think of another film that is as much for fans as yeah. this one was. Especially the way they did the credits. That I thought that was a, such a beautiful nod from the Russos. All the signatures? Yeah, the signatures of the originals. And we lost three of the originals, right? Yeah. We lost half of them. And um, they walked out in such a beautiful way. I, like, I'm still sort of, um, you know, one of the screenings, Norm let me borrow his uh, captain shield. And I'm up on stage after watching all of that, holding yeah. a Captain America shield. And I'm still kind of emotional about it because of, like, the way he carried that shield around. I thought it was brilliant. What, and the biggest twist of the film, no mid-credit scene. Yeah, we're, there we're, there is a nod to one thing at the very uh, end. Nah. Oh, the hammering. Yeah, is that not what you mean? No, that's just a callback again to Tony hammering in the cave. No, I think there was a subduction um, off an African plate that tells us something. A Does what? Norm agree? I wonder. Yes. What are you talking about? There is a character I believe is coming, and I think this is going to be Black Panther two. Oh but there God. was an earthquake. Kings versus kings. Oh. You're talking um, about the earthquake thing in the early beginning part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's the only Secret nod. Secret Empires. I think that's the only nod I could pick up. Secret Empires. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, they also, the whole Loki disappearing and splintering that timeline and getting so, free, like that's going to. This irritated me a little bit. That's going to go into, because they've announced that he has a show coming out live action. This is on what irritates me Disney about Plus. Why didn't they wait like a week after this movie came out to announce all that stuff? Because now, like, I'm watching this movie, and, like, it in my mind, I'm wondering, like, did they make a deal to make these shows? Yeah. And so then they wrote in that Loki's going to escape and that Wanda and um, Hawkeye are going to, you know, develop their own shows. And 
I felt like I felt a little irritated knowing that. But had you, they announced it after the movie, I'd been like, "Oh, cool!" You knew there was a Falcon and Bucky movie, but you didn't know it would be Bucky and Captain America. That was new. No, they've been foreshadowing those two, one of those two becoming Captain for like 10, 12 movies. So it wasn't really a surprise that one of them became Captain America. We just didn't know which one. Hmm. Uh, but I didn't want to know if I didn't. I felt like knowing about those shows was a spoiler. Yeah, I can that see that. I, yeah. I, that makes me like question whether they arced this movie to support those shows being developed or if it was the other way around. No, they arced this movie when then they saw what they had left and said, oh, we can make shows of this. Yeah. I, I, I wish the announcement me. came this week rather than six months ago. Right? Yeah, because it was just an investor call. They could have probably pushed it back. Yeah. Where on the investor call, they'd be like, yeah, by the way, this is the biggest movie of all time. <laughs> They're not even year one shows. They're year two shows. Yeah, I get that. What do you think about the MCU going forward and the, the, the characters out the shoulder the you know what's the most shocking thing to universe. me about the MCU is that it's it wasn't a part of a gigantic whiteboard, uh, you know, branch spiderweb that they had preconceived ten years ago. That they really took it one film at a time, for like two films, and then according to the Russos, like that's what they said even going into this film's press junket. Like I, every single film that was taken like one at a time, and then they would connect the dots as needed. And obviously, they planted some seeds, but. Like, they, they finished their... They have no contracts to do any more films, and they treated this film as the conclusion, mm -hmm. clean slate. But then Marvel is going forward. Absolutely. It's going to be Black Panther, Captain Marvel, are the heroes that are going to be the, the two bigs. Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange, right? Doctor Strange, too. I, uh, I think Spider-Man Far From Home has some weight to carry from this movie, and I hope they wrap it up well. I really hope what we see is that the Avengers are broken up now. Because there's no reason for them to be together. And that breaking up, like a real breaking up, will allow them to pursue their own stories for a while until there's a need for them to come back together. It's also now a world where you have half the people are five years younger. Yeah, hmm. that's not going to make sense in the Spider-Man movie. That's, so they have I to mean, explain it's that. It's a whole school of kids who got snapped and came back. Yeah, so <laughs> held, held back five years. Yeah, there's right. a set of kids. Um, Time travel. And Nick Fury's in that movie, I think. So we're going to have to, he's going to have to explain. Would you want to be the one who was snapped and came back and got basically a free trip to the future five yes, years? Yes, because then I didn't have to go through five years of grief. Yeah. Is Thor going to be in Guardians 3? Oh, better That's be. The assumption. It better be as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think I found he to be he hilarious. So it was really well done i thought they overplayed it a little bit in asgard he didn't need to be like just completely broken i'm, I'm right. glad so coming out of ragnarok there it was a version of thor that was heavily co-developed by Taika Waititi and chris hemsworth and they took elements of that some of that humor in infinity war and it really felt like they wanted to go back to that character and let him be what the character wanted to be that was the theme of his character yeah. By the way, <laughs> not yes. Be who you are, not it, who you're supposed to be. Exactly. By the way, I saw the movie again last night, and uh, I was watching it, and a huge group of teenagers was there. And so the loudest pop in the movie is when it's Korg is revealed to be playing Fortnite, not anything else that happens in the movie. Yeah. They're like ape shit over Fortnite being revealed in movie. Was it like Nude Man '69? Nude Boy? Uh, noob. Six, yeah, Noob Master. Oh, Noob Master, that's right. 69. I yeah. thought it was Nude Master. 
Uh, that was big in mind too. And obviously there's a whole crossover going on right now in Fortnite where you can play Avengers and all kinds of things. So th there's some cross-pollination there. I think Doctor Strange is probably the next movie I'm most interested in because it's has the potential of dealing with the ramifications. The dimensions the and yeah. the timelines. Yeah. That was my favorite scene. I love... You, I thought she was the Sorcerer Supreme, but I guess she's not. She's like She was. She was. At that time. I loved Tilda Swinton. She's she was good. so good. And that this her vocal tone and her delivery is so good. When, when she realizes it, she doesn't tell you she realizes it. She shows she you. She acts it. I love yeah. it. Cameos everywhere. Every single cameo. Even Howard the Duck is in this movie. I don't even believe you. I feel like you, you photoshopped no, a scene from it's in Ready, there. Ready Player One. Just look for when a uh, wasp uh, shows up on the battlefield. He's and there. that's the other one I hadn't seen. So I started watching Ant-Man and the Wasp last night to catch up. It's good. All right. That does it for this week. Actually, why don't you sign off? Cause you know, I'll say the one cosplay I want to do out of this movie. But first of all, Cap's out outfit, outstanding. Yeah. His final outfit. But the cosplay I want to do is I think I want to go as the vanishing um, pillar, the vanished. You know those pillars that were in like near the Golden Gate Bridge of list of names? <laughs> I want to go as one of those like list of names as a box. That's my next cosplay, I think. Uh, what about I like the new time travel outfits. I bet you'll see some of those at Halloween. Oh, I'm sure. All right. Well, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we have plenty of good content up on Tested, especially VR stuff. Thanks for putting up with all of our Endgame talk. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you back here same time next week with a whole new beginning. It to, is the penultimate. To the tested universe. Run up to number 500. That's right. next week. All right. Hi there. I didn't see you. Tested. This fucking guy brings in an oh, iPhone, and when oh. I open it up, you know what's under there? Dried cat piss. It wasn't dry yet. That's it. <laughs>